Read is right. Read works. Inconceivable! Jed, I'll bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hole. I will gouge out your eyeballs and skull fuck you! And welcome to the Voices and Visions podcast, which for this special episode is also going to be posted in the Directors Club podcast feed, simply because this has been an annual tradition in which we jump back 30 years to review and further examine the year in film that was. For this episode, we are going to talk all about 1987. Uh, And two years ago, uh, I recruited two of my favorite film critics to join me in this nostalgic trip through the mid-80s, in which all three of us first fell in love with the art of cinema around 1985. So it started then, and my goal is to conclude once we get to 1999. So you have another 12 years of this to look forward to. (laughs) If we make it. If we make it. Let's just hope we survive. Um, And no political... um, um, commentary intended there. So uh, today, live in living room, I uh, am once again honored to be sitting beside the very conscientious Colin Suter. Hello there. And the rather erudite Eric Childress. Oh, thank you. Look B- at you. Both from RogerEbert.com. Correct. On occasion. Yes. yes. <laughs> Monthly for me. <laughs> Indeed. So, I um, want me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We have so many great titles to talk about, guys. Uh, normally, we have started these episodes with like personal autobiographical story from the year we're discussing, but I think those stories will naturally come up once we go down this list and talk about certain releases and any memories we have associated with them. So, And, as always, we conclude with a list of our personal favorites, um, top 10, top 20, whatever you want to do. I'm I'm flexible. I have I happen mm-hmm. to have tw- I have ten with ten runners up, of course. So um, I did I, almost the entire year. <laughs> wow! Because I was insane, and I'm not saying it's a complete list, but hmm. it's a it's an insane one. That's, I, a, that's I have, impressive. We won't go that far though. I have thirty or thirty one, depending on how you look at one of the uh, releases. Mm-hmm. There's there's a there's a, a a pair of films that were released this year that are part of one piece that hmm. you can put on as one part on on one slot on your list so great tease colin we'll get to that mm-hmm. later yeah. yeah so yeah um i will start out by saying that i i think this is a fairly strong year simply due to about five films that i would consider to be masterpieces that i still rewatch almost yearly i think to this day so um one of which i'm pretty sure we'll all agree on so uh let's dive into the year 1987 the year that prozac was first sold to the public seriously yeah. I didn't hmm. know that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, psychology crap. Okay. And um, what else happened? Stock market crash. Legend of Zelda came out on Nintendo. Mm. Uh, I think I went to a carnival. 
that's what that's the cool thing about doing these 30 year things and I, I especially like that we're doing these in february now because we have a yeah. whole year ahead of us where we can you know recommend these movies that are celebrating their 30th anniversary and some of them might even get legit re-releases or reissues on dvd or even theatrical like three men and a baby sure mm-hmm. the highest grossing <laughs> film of 1987 yeah i saw yeah. that in a packed house in hammond indiana with, mm-hmm. with the family do 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 Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Do, 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 well, we got. A we lot. remember a lot of mm-hmm. weird stuff. So yeah, <laughs> random stuff. I mean, I'm sure things <laughs> will come example. up randomly here. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at some titles early on for January, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember the circumstances in which I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly. Let's get to it, guys, because this right. is a hell of a year. Uh, lots of titles. Where shall we, where shall we begin? Because I know we're going off the list, and I'll include a link um, in the show notes from Box Office Mojo. Didn't we go in kind of an order last year? Yes, year? We just kind of, I think that's a good way to go. Because I agree, we won't have to think too much. We can just go down the list. Exactly. Start with January. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cop. <laughs> what, well, the yeah. thing that I remember about Cop is the fact that the trailer has the ending of the movie as the end of the trailer. So <laughs> I didn't really want to need. To Feel, I mean, I did watch it eventually, but I'm just like, you just gave away the ending of the movie in the trailer. Yeah. The ending of the movie is in the trailer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and as, I don't know, I can't think of any other movie that's ever shown you the final image I can. and moment. Yeah. Can you what? Wreck. Wreck? Yes. What is wreck? Or is it quarantine? Quarantine. Quarantine. Yes, quarantine. Yes. That's true. All That's right. true. Yes, the remake of Wreck, which okay. really bummed me out. Okay, <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because like I saw the trailer for Quarantine, yeah. and then I saw the original Wreck, and I was like, "Oh, that's they just told the exact no, same shot." Nobody remembers the end of Cop, but me. I guess not. I, I, don't. No, I haven't sorry. seen it since he, it first like, came he's out. He's got the killer. He's, it's not we, easy to we find. see who the killer is. And it's just a random serial killer, if I remember right. And the guy's like, "You can't, you know, do anything to me." And he says, "You're well. You're right. Technically, I've, uh, you know, I am a cop, and I'm supposed to arrest you. The deal is that I've been suspended, and I don't give up." Mm. And he blows <laughs> him away. Oh, End nice. the movie. All right. <laughs> so we find out who the killer is and what happens to them. Why am I sitting through the rest of this movie? Right. I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I, I just highlighted movies from month to month that I have something to say about. Uh, there were a couple of good comedies in this month. There's also um, uh, a movie called The Stepfather, which was Ooh. poorly remade a few years Ooh. ago. And But this was, an, this was an interesting horror film because it was sort of the beginning or uh, it was before these kinds of movies became in vogue you know the domestic thriller you know yeah. everything seems all good and fine and uh you know in these idyllic suburban neighborhood and then things slowly start to get dark and and disturbing and horrifying the kind of movie that carl reiner would go on to satirize in fatal instinct yes sure yeah and <laughs> uh but this was uh terry o'quinn as the stepfather who you know just wants to have that perfect leave it to beaver household but he's you know he, he's moved into this house that has a teenage daughter in it and she's not having it or <laughs> she's you know not uh she's not what he considers an ideal mm-hmm. child and uh he's you know he has some uh, psych- deep psychological issues about that <laughs> and things get dangerous and horrifying uh it's a really great performance by by terry o'quinn as i remember definitely 
one um, of the major highlights of the film. Yeah. And then a movie I ca- I caught up with I'd never actually seen before, but I'd always heard about over the years with Nail and I. Have you guys yeah, have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. That's on Criterion, I, yeah. isn't it? Criterion put it out. They should put it out again right. because it wasn't yeah, anamorphic. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the great Richard E. Grant performances. That's really yeah, funny. Huge, huge, huge uh, highlight for me. Yeah, it's, really it's funny. performance in that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Woody Allen, uh, Radio Days. Of course. Um, you know, probably the last film in his in what is his best run of movies from Zelig in 1983 to Radio Days in 1987. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a strong run of films there. And, and, and one, really one of, the, one of his best, I think. Yeah, one of his most personal, autobiographical, uh, a lovely nostalgia tale. I think when we talked about Woody Allen last time, I, I kind of likened it to you know what spike lee did with crooklyn and yeah. just like decided to really go deep into his like own photo album and mm-hmm. uh conjure up a lot of interesting memories and that's what woody allen did with this and obviously i love radio so yeah it's, it's a great a, it's radio a, movie yes mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. either you guys will rewatch outrageous fortune no i i <laughs> meant no. to i i did many years ago and many years ago after hadn't seen it on video for the first time in 1987 uh, not a movie that holds up. Not mm. really. Uh, it's got a few funny moments still. Few. I mean, the, I think the chemistry between Charlie Long and Bette Midler is really good. Mm-hmm. It's just once it gets into the plot, it's really stupid. It's, it's no big business. Really yeah. stupid. Um, no, no, it's, it's not. not big business. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm looking over the, the list of January movies, and while there are clearly a few exceptional standouts like Stepfather and Radio Days, which are both I agree with both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does look like your atypical January release schedule the, that we tend to think of now when we see movies released in January that <laughs> it's kind of a dumping ground for a lot of garbage. Uh, and you know, some you know, there, I know there are people that like the Bedroom Window, which is basically Steve Gutenberg's rear, rear window, window yeah, kind right, of thing. Yeah. Uh, you got a Richard Pryor movie, A Critical Condition. Yeah. You got Emilio Estevez's Wisdom. Yep. I don't it's... think any 1987 <laughs> conversation. Did I, see that? I don't think can, I saw you that. never saw Wisdom. I, I don't oh, think man. so. Is this oh, de- you're missing it's, out. Is this Demi Moore and yeah. Emilio Estevez? Yeah, oh. They were dating at the time, I believe. Hmm. And that was his. Well, he, we did that. Was then. This is now in '86. He didn't direct that though, did he? I, th- I don't think he. Oh, did. he just wrote that. He just, yeah. or was that eighty five? Uh, that was eighty five. But I, I mean, he wrote the screenplay. Okay, so wasn't that S E? Was he S E Hinton? Yes, S E Hinton. Yes, so yes. he wrote the screenplay for that. So I guess maybe I guess this was his directorial debut. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, yeah, where he, he basically robs banks. He put like a modern day Robin Hood. Mm, he yeah. robs banks and gives away to the poor. And uh, you know, spoiler alert: turns out to be all be a dream. What? Yeah, <laughs> it, it it has one of the most bizarro endings. Like he 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 takes oh a God. bath at the beginning of the movie, and then he wakes up in the bath. Yeah, it's about as dumb as Femme Fatale. Sorry, <laughs> I knew I knew you were going to do that. Yeah, well, that. seriously. So uh, I always say that De Palma r- ripped off Wisdom, oh my God. which is not a compliment. Well, maybe I like Wisdom then. Who maybe knows? you will. Christopher yeah. Kane directed that was then. This is now, mm. by the way. But you're right. Estevez did write the screenplay. Yeah. I remember yeah. seeing Meatballs three in my parents' basement late at night one night but i don't think it was in this year it must have been when it played on cable is that the one with shannon tweed sally kellerman sally kellerman i want to say Corey feldman patrick dempsey patrick dempsey so yes oh Corey. i think she plays an a- sally kellerman plays an alien 
who tries to get Patrick Dempsey laid at the summer camp. And after sexy angel Sally Kellerman hits Heaven's Gate... It's just the way I pictured it. She's sent to Earth to earn her wings. I think I've gone from horny to crazy. This is going to be tougher than I thought. And the whole place goes topsy-turvy when she turns the camp nerd into the last word in love. Really? This is what I remember. I don't... I don't Whoa. remember specific I scenes if, I from it, but... I wonder if we're morphing that in Meatballs 4. It's very <laughs> possible. Yeah. Let's stop and watch both of them now. Okay. We'll come back, we'll come back and we'll, okay. we'll get this straightened yes. out. Okay. All right. It's it's awful, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, Alan Quaterman in The Lost City of Gold <laughs> when Cannon was trying to make Richard Chamberlain the next Harrison Ford. Right. Not to mention Sharon Stone, a very mm. the, the movie that... Uh, all the, the people who were playing natives in Alan Quaterman wanted to drown Sharon Stone in the big pot. Yeah. They hated her so much. <laughs> oh, my. Instead of that movie. It's in the Electric Boogaloo canon oh, documentary. Right. Yeah, yeah, They yeah. talk about how, what a pain in the ass she was mm. on the set of those movies. Yeah, so much of this year is covered in that documentary that it's kind of essential viewing, you know, because yeah. we're going to be bringing up a few of those and movies. It was a seminal, a big year for canon. Yeah. Not a good way, but a big year for canon. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing Wanted Dead or Alive uh, at the Displains Theater. Is that Rutger, Rutger Hauer? Rutger Hauer and Gene, Gene Simmons. Simmons. And I'm oh. pretty sure at the end of the film he puts a grenade in Gene Simmons' mouth and then leads him away from everybody so that when he explodes he's not going to make, you know, get everybody. <laughs> I think, which is the but. second time he like basically exploded because he explodes at the end of Runaway. Too. Oh, all okay. the spiders, all the oh. the, the blow up spiders, blow up spiders, all the, wow. the uh, explosive spiders, all you know, inject him with the poison and whatnot, and then his head blows up. Yeah. Yeah, Rutger Hauer wanted dead or alive. I'm it's I've dri- it's driving me nuts because I know I saw it a double feature at the displays. My dad and I went, and I can't remember what the other movie was, but wanted dead or alive was the movie. Like, all right, let's sit through this, and then we're gonna see the movie that we actually came here for. And it's we some, we're only in January in '87. We have somehow managed to bring up both Gene Simmons and his wife Shannon Tweed. <laughs> That's impressive. Great. Yeah. Well, Shannon Tweed is a seminal year or seminal figure in. My youth, of course. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember seeing Light of Day at the theater because I was a huge Michael J. Fox guy, and yeah. it, you know, it was about rock and roll, and Joan Jett was in it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea until just recently when I did the Paul Schrader episode for Directors Club that he directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not at all easy to find right now. It's like completely out of place. I think I remember writing that Michael J. Fox was very miscast in it, and yeah, um, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and uh, but the music wasn't bad. I, I, I just this was like 15 years ago when I saw it, and that was kind of what I remember. Is Springsteen involved it. somehow with that? I want to say he is one of his songs yeah. co-wrote one of the songs in it. I'd have to look that okay. up, but uh, yeah, that sounds familiar about it. Okay, and Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails plays one of the bandmates. Does he really? Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very early young Trent Reznor. Yeah. Hmm. I think Dead of Winter is kind of underrated. It's it's, a, it's again, I, the director's name is escaping me right now. Uh, it almost Arthur, wasn't Arthur Hiller, was it? No, but it, it's every single director wants to make their own Hitchcock movie. And yeah. this that's exactly what this is. You mentioned the bedroom window earlier. Mm-hmm. This is very much in that ilk, but I think it's 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 really anchored by great performances from Mary Steenburgen and Roddy McDowell. Arthur Penn. Arthur Penn. I was close. Yes, yes, I was yes, close. <laughs> yes that's it. Um, it's a creepy, weird movie. 
Um, I remember the, that was a movie that, like, when you, I remember seeing the trailers, for, like, the TV spots for that when it came out, and I'm looking like, this looks stupid. And then I think, like, Dan Geyer gave it, like, three stars. And yeah, it's anytime, a good three-star movie, right, exactly. People yeah. th- did like that movie. And it's, it's just on Blu-ray from Shout Factory recently. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. The last couple months, it's just hmm. been released. I wouldn't mind taking a look at that again. Yeah. No, that's 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 a that's a creepy little movie. Yes. All right, which one of you watched Mannequin? I didn't. Okay. I, I've watched Mannequin enough <laughs> over the years that I feel fine talking about Mannequin if we okay. want to well, go there. Well, nothing's going to stop you now. Hey, there you go. <laughs> well, now we're getting into a whole other category here. Hey, I like Starship. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Well, since we're, we're going here, I got it. We're talking about personal stories. Yep. Um, <laughs> Colin know, knows where I'm going with this. I know this exactly too, where you're going yeah. with this. Uh, talent show, <gasps> 1987. Me and the sister. Sang a particular Starship song. Oh my God! Yes. How 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 did you react to Skeleton Twins then? Uh, like, did you just like freak I out? I lost my mind. <laughs> I was at Sundance when I saw Skeleton Twins and uh, sitting there in a packed house at Sundance, and it's a brother and sister singing that song. Yeah. I lost my shit. I I, I was doubled over in laughter at at watching this, <laughs> and and for that. When it came on Blu-ray, Blu-ray later that year, I bought the, that movie for both my sisters for Christmas. That's sweet. I still don't think they've watched it. <laughs> I not one of them has commented. I'm like, have you watched Skeleton Twins yet? There's something in it that you're going to want to see. And like, ah, we haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, yeah. That's uh, that's yeah. So I have a I have, I have a connection to Manic. At least that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie, you know. It's dumb. <laughs> it's it's no. It's it's incredibly stupid. Uh, it's it's but it's as bad as it is. There's the harmless stupidity mm-hmm. to it. Like it's mm-hmm. not like aggressively. I mean, I don't know if um, people attach any like sexist, misogynist kind of things to it or whatnot. You know, I I think you'd be going overboard if you did that. I I look at that movie and I kind of just like, eh, you know, it's not worth getting into a dither about is like one of the worst films. It's one of the dumbest premises ever, yes. But it's just kind of it's a you know, it's a PG wanna you know, wannabe screwball comedy from the nineteen thirties kind of thing. Poorly sure, poorly okay. done. Yeah. You know, and I mean Andrew McCarthy and Kim Cattrall are not the two leads you want to be doing that kind of movie, but you shrug your shoulders and you move on. You made pretty decent money. It was, it was a big a hit. hit. Yeah, yeah. It was a hit. Yeah, and played at the Elk Grove Cinema. It was that was in one theater, and the other theater was Children of a Lesser God. <laughs> oh my, big difference. Memories. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I, I, I know. I saw Over the Top in the theater. Speaking of canon, yeah, yeah, it was god awful. From the director of the Apple. Oh yes! Wow, that's weird because I just listened to the Shockwaves episode it was where they the, talked about the Apple. It was uh, Menachem Golan. Mm-hmm. Was he? He was the direct. He was the guy who directed, right? Yeah. yeah right. I pretty much just saw anything Sylvester Stallone was in at that time. Yeah. We all. I, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, at, at that time, no matter what Stallone was in, you were going to watch it. And he made a lot of garbage in, in the time. And Over the Top is one of. Or, or, but it's it's that kind of that Irvis Treakley garbage that yeah. you know it's like it's like a father son story and a you know a dead mom story, but also arm wrestling. Yeah, you know? so, and, and, and teaching his ten-year-old how to drive a semi, as I yes. remember. Um, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> with the Kenny Loggins song playing in the background, mm-hmm. which was a was it an Oscar nominee? 
No. It wasn't. No. Okay. It I, wasn't. I looked at the Oscar okay, nominees beforehand. Okay. Yeah. No, but Mannequin uh, was nominated. Nothing's going to stop us now. Was <laughs> nominated. Yeah. Mannequin well is an Academy mm-hmm. Award nominated film. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, got as many nominations as Silence, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Does Silence get one nomination or two? One, I think. One, yeah. yeah. So Mannequin, mm-hmm. Silence, equal footing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, and over the. <laughs> I don't know. Do you normally drop in clips when we do of course. this? You do this of course. I don't you, know. I don't know which one I'm going to choose from this. Movie. I, I, I'll tell you exactly the one you choose. You choose the one where Robert Loja standing on the staircase and yelling at Stallone to about you know why he hasn't been in his son's life. And Robert Loja, damn you! Oh, and Stallone okay. just looks back at him and goes, damn you! <laughs> you deserted him years ago, and that's a fact that you can't change, no matter what you do. Damn you! Damn you! Grandfather always said you were a loser. Now you're trying to make me one, and I hate you for it. Okay. Or you can just have David Mendenhall saying over the top <laughs> yeah. if you want. Over the top, Dad. And cry. Over the top. <laughs> Crying. Yeah. At one point. Little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what else did David Mendenhall did? Why, why do I even... He, he had one of those faces that seemed yeah. like he was like anonymous white boy in the suburbs... He probably played that role a thousand times on sitcoms. That maybe, maybe that's, saw a special maybe that's guest star, of. David Mendenhall. I'm going to look up David Mendenhall. You <laughs> guys, that's you what guys this, that's what this show is all about, yeah, is right. us looking up stuff to see where I people are I think that's his at. name, right? I think, yeah. yeah, it is. That's pretty amazing that you retain that, but that's how our brains work. That's <laughs> yeah, why we do this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Didn't yeah. you rewatch Morgan Stewart's Coming Home? I didn't. Oh. Which one I, I, am I confused? I'm confusing it with something else then. Oh, or Hiding, hiding out. out. Oh, saw, I, I rewatched oh, okay. Hiding Out. We're getting to that later. Awful. Okay. And I can't believe I liked it at one time. Yeah, David Mendenhall did a lot of TV, uh, For sure. a lot of voice work. He was voice on the Transformers show, uh, the animated show. He did ah. he did Streets with Christine Applegate. Remember Streets with Christine Applegate, no. the homeless movie where you see side boob? <laughs> Talking about the way our brains work. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. Right. No, uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> that's what all I remember about Streets is, mm-hmm. you know, like Christine Applegate was married with children at the time, and of course you have to seek side that boob. out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're we're, we're okay. digging into <laughs> we're big stuff here. People. Just wait till we get to uh, blindfold acts of obsession. Do you remember? <laughs> well, that's uh, that's Shannon Dort. Oh, that's a, wow. Okay, I just here's a David Mendenhall was. Hold on. Um, this is the David Mendenhall David podcast. Men- David Mendenhall was the father of the girl in God Bless America, Bobcat Goldthwaite's film. Father? Father of like, well, the yes, girl right. that goes on the killing spree. People, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, we're talking 24 years later. <laughs> That's so, true. Yeah. But yeah, I've never... I, wow. Wow. Yeah. I don't even remember her father in the movie, but yeah. There you go. That's mm. wild. Mm-hmm. hmm Well, Bobcat <laughs> does some interesting casting. Yeah. Um... So, Helen, get us out of the DVD. <laughs> yeah, <now. all> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that we're out of that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 3, yes, Dream Warriors. It's great. Uh, really? Yes, really. It's, it's really, great. It's great. It's really sarcasm great. there. There's no. a lot of excitement. I, I, I'm honestly, it's poss- possibly my favorite. Of all time. Look I had a good time with it when we saw it at the drive-in. Well, or it was the outdoor thing at uh, Flashback. It was a good time, but I the movie itself didn't quite hold up for me. What as I watch it, I just thought, "Wow, this is not as good as I remember it at all." Yeah, I think, this it, is, I think it's I quite think, good. I mean, I mean, coming off the second one, Dream Warriors stands out. Uh, or that's why it, it stood out at the time as being good. I mean, uh, they brought back Heather Legenkamp and. Um, 
Patricia Arquette's John in Saxon. it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, good. They they got the head, their heads on straight again, and this is kind of cool and imaginative. But for some reason, I remember at the drive-in, at the, the flashback weekend horror convention thing, that's what we're talking about. If you're about. a fan of the Blobbery make, I think Chuck Russell really brings that same sensibility to that that he brings to Dream Warriors. I, I disagree. Oh, uh, no! Yeah, no. The- Patrick Bromley uh, was, is also like you. He's a he's he's of all the sequels, the in between sequels. This is was his favorite, yeah. and for me, it, it never worked hmm. because I thought like yes, like Colin said, it's a kind of there's a cool idea in there that all the, all these people can manipulate their dreams and be someone you know that they're that they're not yeah. because they're they're either a druggie or they're in a wheelchair or these kind of things. That's a very cool idea. And then they get to that section of the movie and it's basically just like I I'm a wizard. And, and then he becomes Harry Potter. Freddy goes, yeah, you're an idiot and kills him. And then you know she <laughs> like I'm a punk girl and then Freddy goes, yeah, you're an idiot too and kills him. I'm like, why don't they team up? Where's this, the <laughs> moment where they all all the team up with their powers and they you know they they, they do something like that? It's just like the Freddy he just like kind of shows up they like they hit him and then he goes like oh, what are you doing and then he slashes them and then they're yeah. dead and then i'm like okay so i and, and at the drive-in thing too i was there too and it i was hoping it was going to work better for me and it never happened I am the it has that Jason and the Argonauts Harryhausen yes. scene with the skeleton, which is kind of cool. It, it, it's cool. It's it's really poorly. It, I mean, yeah, Harryhausen at, in 1987 is not as cool as Harryhausen. You know, even Clash of the Titans six years earlier was not right. as cool as that. And yeah, and then you had Craig Wasson, the you know the Bill Maher wannabe uh, that he, he looks like Bill Maher. I'm he does. Sorry, he does. Uh, and it was two years after Body Double, or three years after Body Double. Uh, yeah, yes. just, yeah, it's really stupid. No, it's, and then it's, it's, it's great. And then this also <laughs> this also marks the end uh, or the last of the John Hughes teen films. Uh, some kind of wonderful, one of the best. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, better than Pretty in Pink. <laughs> same director, yeah. same basic story, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, I think the they reverse the, the sexes, yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Um, but this is a this is a, a, a there's a really there's there's a there's a book called um, you couldn't ignore me if you tried which is all about that. the uh, John Hughes movies as told by all the actors who are in them all the people who worked with John Hughes and this is a movie that stars uh, Mary Stuart Masterson who I think we probably all fell in love with in this film of course um, and then Leah Thompson and Eric Stoltz and I know we we have a crush on Leah Thompson as well I know that. Um, <laughs> But the thing about Leah Thompson and Eric Stoltz in this movie is that, um, you know, Eric Stoltz at the time was, and maybe still is, I don't know, but uh, at, at the time he was very methody, very serious, hard very hard to work with, and, and just, you know, kind of a pain. And he was fired from Back to the Future for that. And yeah. so now he's reunited with Leah Thompson, and he's pulling that same crap on the set. And so she had to, like, pull him aside and say, hey, Remember that movie you and I were supposed to be in together? That one that it was kind of a hit, you know. Uh, remember how you got kicked off it? You might want to n- knock that off. Yeah. Uh, and so that so uh, she gave him a good talking to on the set of that film and and changed his attitude. Um, she gives a great performance in that she makes us believe that she does have affection for him. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's uh, I I really like. You know Mary Stuart Masterson in this movie. She's she's great. Um, she yeah, I mean drums. she plays the drums. She's just <laughs> cool, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I I've always liked some kind of wonderful and a great soundtrack too. 
Yeah. Very good soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, I this you know you already said it's better than Pretty in Pink. I 110 percent on that. Uh, it's you know, it's the gender reversal Pretty in Pink basically, and I was a Leia Thompson guy, so I was very much rooting for <laughs> to get together with Leia Thompson because the idea of the dream girl that was something at that time hormones and whatnot that I was certainly going through myself. So this this movie spoke to me mm-hmm. at the time this movie is you know the the the, the, the kind of outsider guy and there's the, the friend and the, the dream girl and the, the them manipulating it to a way that made him look like a fool mm-hmm. basically there was a lot of that going on at the time so uh i've always and, and i think it actually has one of my probably my favorite ending of all the john hughes movies i think yeah, yeah, i mean I you know so. the way that that it resolves itself i think is i mean it's it's a classic romantic ending uh but it's i, I don't know it, it always gets me that the ending of that movie when he runs is running down the street to go after and the way the music is is used in, at that point and the fact that Leigh thompson recognizes it and gives back the earrings but i always think <laughs> i always want the end of that movie you know if she you know you look good wearing my future is a great final line but <laughs> just how much more he's gonna have to work to go <laughs> right i know he's not going to college now right. yeah. but that's a lo- that was a really stupid thing yeah. <laughs> to do i always well, just like I, every time i watch it i'm just like dude don't buy those earrings yeah that's, well that's too much for jewelry i don't care how much money you have but that is part of being a teenager is yes. you're not thinking about yes. the future you're thinking about the moment mm-hmm. and and, of course. Um, you no, know, I you, get it. You, and but and I think it's a it's the perfect way. It's a perfect shot for Hughes to go out on on with this run of teen films that he made. Mm-hmm. You know, just the two outsiders walking off together into yeah. the yeah. sunset. Fear, yeah. fear, that kind uh, of sums figuratively. Up his themes beautifully yeah. there, and mm-hmm. that's that's a great way and, to end. And in high school, I had a friend. You know, because I'm I was kind of a square nerd, and then I wound up having like a punk kind of crazy friend like Elias Kateas for a little while, which is kind of scary, but kind of fun. Another thing, <laughs> another thing I really love about the movie because the the, the enemies that become the friends. That's, right. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a, a, a trope in movies that I've always loved. That the the guy that is your antagonist at one point can then be your greatest ally. Exactly. Yeah. And when he shows up at the party, and it's just like you're just like yeah, yeah, right. You know, it's 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 great. Um. So, Death Before Dishonor. Um, <laughs> what? what? I just, oh my Fred God. Dwyer was a thing, man. He was a football player. Then he was an actor. Hunter <laughs> on NBC. Come on. Nobody remembers. No, 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 we don't remember. Okay. First Lethal Weapon film. Yes. Uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover doing the cop buddy thing, which by this time, you know, we'd seen it quite a bit. Um, but there's some, you know, this is some uh, some great chemistry between two really great actors and, you know, working from a really solid script by Shane Black and, um, you know, very well directed by Richard Donner. I The last time I watched it, I, it's not one that I go back to a lot, but I the last time I watched it, it was... Um, for this podcast, I watched it in January, and they Netflix sent me the director's cut, Whoa. which I think had just one scene at the beginning. It's got like the two- ho- a hostage scene at the beginning with or Mel Gibson, Gibson, yeah. And I just thought, felt like that was totally unnecessary. Yeah, you right. know that was a good cut mm-hmm. to make, <laughs> and 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 was not really. It was it, there was such a better introduction to his character in that 
right. first ten minutes of the film. Well, it also seemed like he did a lot that day. Like, yeah, right, that like, too. Yeah, like, yeah, did, yeah, like yeah. you went from the what, did the hostage crisis first come yeah. first, and then he does the drug deal. That's the, yeah, the tree thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's too much. Yeah, like I mean, I understand <laughs> you get all you need to know how crazy he is at the drug scene. Yeah, you know, yeah. you you get that, and then uh, you know that I mean that was a movie. You know, Mel Gibson hadn't really. I mean, he's recognized for these action movies and for other things more recently. But he, this this was a movie that really sort of blended the the action hero with how just how good an actor he was. I mean, he was doing some dramas in between. I think the River was a couple years was that eighty five. The River, oh right, know, Sissy yeah. Spacek, mm-hmm. and obviously you're living dangerously and things like that. So it's not he wasn't always an action guy. He was mm-hmm. doing stuff. Like, people are just like, what, while well, I was doing Hamlet? Well, he was doing drama for years. Yeah. He just happens to be, you know, the, these were the, the hits. And, I mean, the scene where he's going to commit suicide is, is inc- still an incredibly powerful piece of acting. And, uh, Le- this is also a, a franchise I recently talked about recently, and, uh, Lethal Weapon 2, to me, is more fun, clearly. Yeah. Uh, but this was, I mean, this is a great I- introduction. And like you said, Colin said that the chemistry between the two of them is unmistakable, and that's why they got four movies out of it. Right, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he got that same weekend Tin Men, the first of two Barry Levinson movies from this year. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss and I don't know Danny why DeVito. I yet to see Tin Men. Uh, I don't. I just because I, I, I also. Th- there's a Barry Levinson Directors Club coming up in this year. I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch it around that time or whatever. But I just never, I, I never really get appealed to me for some reason when I saw the trailer. I love both of those guys, but I don't know. It's fine. It's, <laughs> no, it, it, it's good. I mean, this is, you know, a, a lot of directors had their peak at this time. You know, they had this, a really strong run of films at this time. Rob Reiner's one of them. Barry Levinson's another one, mm-hmm. um, and this was part of that. Uh, it, you know, before he would start to go downhill, um, he has a real fondness for this time period, and you can yeah, tell from sure. this and Diner and Good Morning Vietnam, he has a real fondness for the '60s. Um, and you know, this is that sort of not. I mean, not a part of the '60s that we think of when we automatically think of the '60s. These are like working class guys, salesmen. Uh, they both sell aluminum siding. That's kind of the funny piece about the film is that hmm. both characters are aluminum siding salesmen, and they just kind of have this chance encounter where they crash into each other on the street on their cars, and then they start getting revenge on each other. You know, back and forth. So it's like changing lanes. It was a changing lanes at yeah. the time. Yeah, but, it was. Yeah, but far more mannered. That was yeah. the thing that I always remember about Ten Men is that uh, it seemed like it was going to be one of those comedy of manners kind of things, and it was just it was all manner, mm-hmm. <laughs> you uh, know, for me. Uh, as much as I like Dreyfus and, and and Devito and the time period, uh, that's all all I thought about that. Yeah, and the, and, eh. and the fine young cannibals, right? Oh, right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. The fine young cannibals are in it too. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Barbara Hershey uh, mm-hmm. is in it as well. So I mean, it's not great. It's not a great Barry Levinson film, but I mean, if you're going to go back and watch, you know, six or seven or eight of his films, you can throw <laughs> this one in and sure. it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Oh uh, boy. And then, uh, Angel Heart. Oh boy. Still on this weekend. Oh. Yeah. Still six. on this weekend. Angel Heart, uh, big, a controversial film at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost got an X rating because of the sex scene between uh, Mickey Rourke and Lisa Bonet, who was a Cosby kid at the time. You know, she was yeah. that Cosby show was still huge and she was still, you know, 
uh, everybody had the image of her as like the perfect daughter and everything. And now here she is, you know, getting naked and getting into bed with Mickey Rourke and, and, and also being in some really intense, uh, you know, voodoo ritual scenes where she's, you know, putting chicken blood all over herself. Uh, not exactly the picture of wholesomeness in Reagan America. And, um, so the movie, you know, caught some controversy for for that scene and uh alan parker had to trim a lot of the sex scene to get it down to an r um, you, you have to sort of think of because the sex the, the thing that it, it was less the sex and more the blood right yeah you know which is yeah. so it was a bloody very sex, stylish a bloody scene. interracial sex scene yeah yes. which the arbiters of the wholesome police the mpaa found a bit too much not mm-hmm. the fact that that movie there are far more disturbing things in that movie right uh you know right up to the very to the very end of the movie which even though it has some might say the most obvious a very obvious twist it doesn't never has never bothered me it's always worked for me oh, and yeah yeah, yeah the, no, the mood I've... of that film is is so it, it's not a pleasant <laughs> No, film. it no. is not a pleasant film, but it's but it's a really good mystery. And Rourke was you want to talk about directors? Also, this is a peak period for Mickey Rourke too. Mm-hmm. And oh, for sure, this year is alone oh, yeah. exactly. And yeah, I mean, just you, you know, you granted the final shot of the movie is very obvious, but it works because it's it's such a stylized supernatural noir. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, I oof, oof. gothic supernatural noir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's. It's a good description of mm-hmm. it. I, I want to rewatch it again soon. It's been a long mm-hmm. time, but I remember being really affected by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. Hunk! <laughs> I don't okay. know what Hunk is. What's Hunk? You don't remember Hunk? Hunk? Oh. Yeah, Hunk is the movie where it's like the, the, the skinny dude like wishes something and he becomes a Hunk. <laughs> yep. And I think becomes, there's a lot of scenes that are How pool. did I not see this? A lot then? of scenes that are pool, I remember. Oh boy! Never saw it. Well, it was part of that. Uh, wasn't there like a studio that was putting out a bunch of movies like that? That they put out like six or seven movies like that. And I, th- I uh, and I, the, I can't remember the which one. The list is Crown. Okay, I don't remember. Uh, well, here. I think you talked about you're, this you're, on the last right on, episode. I think you might so. be. You're right yeah. on this because the, here are the, here's the six movies released by Crown. Ready? Okay. You had uh, Hunk in '87. You had Jocks in '86. Right. So you went from Jocks to Hunks, and then in '80, also in '86 was My Chauffeur. And yeah. Eight, yeah. All, and then going, we're going back now. '85 was Tomboy. '84 Weekend Pass, and they kicked things off with My Tutor. Yeah. Oh, my so <laughs> this is basically a. Straight to video. Oh no, not straight to video, straight but to video. but Cinemax worthy mm-hmm. period, but not good ones. These are not good Cinemax movies. Even no. if you want to revisit uh, that kind of nostalgia, I mean, Hunk is PG for one, so it's not oh, like that's weird. so you might get some bikinis and stuff in that. Uh, unless well, if you go another way, you might be interested in Hunk. Uh, we are not. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. We just spent three minutes talking about Hunk. I yeah. just want to point that out. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Remember the David Mendenhall digression? Yes. Okay. Well, he deserved it, damn it. Because <laughs> where is he? Um, and then the weekend after that. So that was one weekend. That was March. Yeah. Lethal Weapon, Tin Man, Angel Heart, Hunk. And then the weekend after that, man, I mean. Come on. Good God. Uh, so let's start with what the for, for a guy uh, who loves on the list here inventive camera work. That's that, this is like me getting all giddy mm-hmm. looking at the oh, next two titles at the la- I mean, when I was 
at this time, I was all about that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a huge fan of After Hours and directors who play with the camera and, and do all kinds of cool stuff with it. And it, few movies, let alone comedies, are as alive as Raising Arizona. Cool. It's kind of funny that both of them came out the same weekend, Evil Dead 2 and Raising Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they were buddies. Yeah. They, they Coen Brothers and Sam Raimi, um, both, you know, just sort of adopting the same style, stylistic, uh, you know, uh, choices and creating movies that are, you know, have endured over the last 30 years. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about anniversaries that are coming up. These are, these are two movies that have, are, should be celebrated this year. Yes. Uh, 100%. Agreed. So if you have the chance to see Raising Arizona and Evil Dead 2 in the theater this year, I suggest you take it. I hope that happens. Mm. I'm sure it will somewhere. Yeah, I think there'll probably be a lot of Evil Dead 2 going on around Halloween this year, 30th anniversary. And Raising Arizona is one of my top ten comedies of all time. I I can watch that movie anytime, anywhere. There's nothing about that film that doesn't make me laugh. I mean, a a line reading, a look, a camera movement. That movie just destroys me from... It's eight minute prologue to the very end of the movie, and it's 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 incredibly sweet at, at times. And uh, one of my favorite Nicolas Cage performances. Uh, you talk about a good year for Holly Hunter. Good we'll Lord. be getting to that soon enough. Uh, yeah, just everything about Raising Arizona. I mean, to, to the quote the movie to this day. You know, crazy world. Someone ought to sell tickets. Sure, mm-hmm. I'd buy one. Yeah, <laughs> Every, that comes up all the time, and it's one of my favorite dialogue exchanges in film history. It's just it's so perfect. Yeah, and it's almost everything about it's, it's almost like throwaway in that in that scene too. Yes, you know, it's it, a total throwaway yeah. line, mm-hmm. but yet it's it is. You're right; it's one of the best. And to think that how insane it is that this was the follow up to Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. Yep, that Blood Simple was the you know one of those indie movies at the time that blew blew up, blew everyone away, and it was like, where do these people come from? Well, that's and then they kind of, follow it up with this. That's kind of been their their motto. I mean. yes. It's like they do a really serious drama, and then they follow it up with a really wacky comedy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like so. they, they, they get this drama out of their system, and they're like, we want to do something fun. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, yeah, yeah, it, it has been, been a pattern, pattern throughout, throughout their entire, entire career. career. Time to the right! The first time I met Ed was in the county lockup in Tempe, Arizona. You're a flower, you are. A day I'll never forget. I do. You bet I do. Okay, then. My lawless years were behind me. Our child-rearing years lay ahead. But <laughs> biology conspired to keep us childless. You go right back up there and get me a toddler. I need a baby hide. I got more than I can handle. At the time, Ed's little plan seemed like the solution to all our problems. And the answer to all our prayers. He's beautiful. What? Are you kidding? We got us a family here. I, it's one of those movies, too, where I have a very vivid memory of seeing, uh, before I watched the entire movie, snippets of it on, on mm-hmm. Viewer's Choice. Like, they would show clips and uh, like, oh, this looks funny. Viewer's Choice. Yeah, yeah I mean... I, they I, showed a lot of the chase scene, um, just as yeah. a clip. Uh-huh. That got me excited to see the whole movie. Yeah, I remember uh, this was a time when I started riding my bike to theaters that were a little bit further 
from where I usually go to. And the first time I rode I, on a day like today, it's an unusually warm day like today. This is February, what, 20th something? Yeah. And it's like 60 degrees and sunny out. Yeah. So crazy. We should be podcasting outside. So, <laughs> so like, I just took my bike one Saturday afternoon and just, I'm going to ride my bike as far away from my house as I can. And I wound up in Buffalo Grove at the Ridge Cinemas. I was like, wow, okay. I did not expect to wind up here. <laughs> cool. I'm going to go see a movie. And I, and You're I, like, Frank Drebin walking the streets. And where the hell am I? <laughs> right. And uh, so I, uh, they had both Radio Days and Raising Arizona. Oh, and wow. I bought a ticket for Radio Days, saw it, loved it, and then snuck into Raising Arizona. And I was like, this is did. the greatest movie going day of my life. This is amazing. That's a good day. That's a good that's day. That's a damn good yeah, day. That's a good day. I mean, Raising Arizona, you got it's when you watch that thing in the theater, it's just unbelievable i mean i've still never seen it in the theater yeah oh my god i mean yeah. it's the you know like you said the first eight minutes that whole prologue is like never seen anything like that in a movie ever yeah. and it just it's phenomenal and a lot of movies have tried to do that prologue mm-hmm. and uh it's just it's just masterful yeah and really confident and really really funny and then you got evil dead 2 right which is one of the great sequels changed ever. my life Change your life. Well, yeah. well, I mean, I we'll saw. Go it, with that. I saw it three years later. Yeah. Um, renting it at Citizens Video, which was a mom and pop video store in uh, Griffith, Indiana, and they were not the type. They they didn't they didn't really look at the ratings, and they were and like. And my, and it was X at the time, was it not? It was. It was. I don't think not officially X, but it had the disclaimer: nobody under seventeen the, will okay. be admitted okay. into the theater. I don't know how I got away with renting this by myself. Mm. <laughs> I still like. I mean, they didn't really care if I rented R-rated movies, and I think that you know my dad might have checked the box saying yeah. he can rent yep. R-rated movies. That's yeah. fine. But yeah, I watched. About 15 minutes of this movie, my mom came downstairs and said, okay, we're taking this movie back. I remember <laughs> I remember being very dismissive of this film. Not because I, had, I hadn't seen it yet, but yeah. when it came out, this was, you know, this was the period of the video store that we're, they were in. And it seemed like every other horror movie on the shelf looked like this. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's Evil Dead 2, what the hell is this? And I hadn't seen Evil Dead yet at the time yet either. Yeah. This wasn't available in my video store. And... So I was very dismissive of it, but I'm like Dan Guy gave it three and a half stars. I'm like, oh, I gotta pay it. Well, I gotta pay attention to this. That's interesting. And I didn't see it until Army of Darkness came out. Mm. I didn't see it until 1992 mm. because, mm. and I, uh, frankly, I don't think I saw it until after I saw Army of Darkness. Oh wow! Because wow. it was just one of those movies that again was just not readily available at my local video store. They mm-hmm. didn't have it, so I didn't. And it wasn't something that played on cable that yeah. I remember yeah, at yeah. all. You could never find it like a blockbuster, or anything, right? Of course. But at the time I saw Army of Darkness, I happened to be then working in a video store, and it had Evil Dead Two. So, watched I think that's the first time I remember seeing Nick's quote on a movie box was Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. Yeah. Okay. Um, Nick DiGilio, by the Nick way, DiGilio, yes, we're talking about. Not Nick, not Nick Cassavetes. <laughs> no. um, yeah, I, I remember. I remember renting Evil Dead Two the day it came out on video, and I rented Evil Dead One the sa- at the same time. And um, I think I watched Evil Dead Two first, anyway, and it was just it's essentially a remake. It is Evil pretty Dead. much, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and just laughed my head off, and just marveled at the technical proficiency of it no, no, there's another Harryhausen kind of moment oh yeah, oh, yeah. clearly yeah. yeah much better three very different movies too yeah three all I mean Evil Dead one is pure horror mm. second one is horror, a, 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 and horror and comedy and then the third one is this medieval Harryhausen 
Three Stooges, a little right. bit. Yeah. yeah. My dad loved Army of Darkness, and he's not mm-hmm. a horror guy at all. Yeah. So that tells you something. But, I mean, Evil Dead 2 is just... It's the movie that made me really get... Like, how After Hours was for you. It was the movie that got me interested in how what does a camera do, and how can a camera do that, and how can a camera bust through the doors and yeah. do all these weird tilt-angle shots and yeah. just stuff I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. So got me really excited for movies. Four years ago, in this quiet forest... In this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the creator of Evil Dead, comes Evil Dead. Sure, I'll set this one out. Uh, I like like the guy. Not as much as you, but I like him. Swimming to Cambodia, which is um, Jonathan Demme's follow-up to Stop Making Sense, really, more than a follow-up to Something Wild. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a performance film. It's it's Spalding Gray, who was a uh, monologuist, I guess is what they were called. Now it would be called Spoken Word. but you know they're monologues, and it, it's it's basically him sitting at a desk talking about his experiences while having a bit part on the movie The Killing Fields. And oh, right. um, what I loved about this, I mean, I was a Jonathan Demme fan at the time already, anyway, and uh, I thought it was fascinating the idea of just how simple a movie can be and yet so cinematic and you know, like breathtaking to watch and to listen to. Um, Spalding Gray is a, a, a really just one of the great storytellers and, mm-hmm. and, and has inspired so many people uh, to do the same thing. Um, Henry Rollins being one. Maybe um, Stephen Tobolowski to Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people cite Spalding Gray as a major influence, who people who do that sort of thing. And, God bless him, because um, I can't do that. <laughs> it's it's hard, and and you know it, it it's kind of thing. It looks easy to do, but it's really hard. Yeah. And uh, what I love about this is, first of all, uh, uh, I mean, Spalding Gray is kind of that sort of New York neurotic kind of guy, very almost Woody Allen like, very self deprecating, and just has a lot of you know personal neuroses that he talks about in these things. And uh, he. You know the way he mixes in the history of you know Vietnam and Cambodia and the bombings in with this you know this personal story that he's also telling. Uh, I thought it was really wonderful and educational. Like this is kind of how I learned about the secret bombings in Cambodia and and a lot of the horrors that were going on there. I didn't. Hmm. <laughs> I'd seen the Killing Fields, but I didn't really i was a little too young for it sure because it didn't really quite get everything that was going on but like in this movie like kind of explained everything to me so it was, it was it's kind of a nice history lesson too and the way jonathan demi cuts and edits it uh and and puts in the you know the laurie anderson score uh yeah. is is amazing um, it, it's it's just a great so example at, of doing so much with so little. Right, he's so good at doing that and capturing live performance. Yeah, you know whether if it is a band like the Talking Heads or someone like Neil Young dialing it down and 
Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of this too. I, I haven't seen it in a very long time. Isn't there a box set now with through Criterion? Uh, the, well, or, Criterion put out a. I need to see these again. No, the, it's never been out on Criterion, but Criterion hmm. did put out um, uh, Grey's Anatomy, which was the one that uh, Stephen uh, yes Soderberg. Uh, Soderberg did, and then uh, yeah, the I've documentary. And everything is going fine, which is another one by Steven Soderbergh. It's really good. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, it's un- it's tragic what happened to Spalding Gray because he, yeah. uh, you know, he had got into a car wreck in in Ireland, and then uh, had it, it it affected his brain. He had to start taking medication for it, and it just kind of messed with his brain even more. And then he ended up committing suicide. And when you watch, and everything is going fine, you you don't see a suicidal guy in that film. Mm. But, you know, there's something going on that just totally messed with him. And unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. But really, a, a, a great, funny storyteller. And uh, this, is a, this is one of my favorite movies from this year, definitely. You know who is still with us? Bobcat Goldthwait and Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. Yep. Burglar. <laughs> yeah, this Whoopi Goldberg, you know, was... <laughs> Obviously, first burst on the scene as a comedian. I mean, her stage show was directed by Mike Nichols, you know, for God's sakes, and attracted a guy named Steven Spielberg, put cast her in color purple. But so that was, and she got an Oscar nomination for that. But then there was this period where they tried to utilize the comedic aspects. And the yeah. period between color purple and ghost is kind of a rough period yeah. for, for Whoopi. I mean, Jumpin' Jack Flash in 86. Oh, right. Burglar is even worse. I think mm-hmm. Burglar is even worse. But Fatal uh, Beauty was okay. I don't mind Fatal Beauty. I think you know yeah. Tom Holland did that, and it's 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 a oh it's Tom a Holland of Fright Night. Yes. Oh, I didn't know. Yes, that. Uh, brutal. I mean, a kind of a brutally violent yeah. film, Fatal Beauty. Uh, but but I, I I think that one works. Sure. Burglar does not. No, Burglar is not funny. I don't think I, I don't, ever saw it. All I, the way I just through. saw like half of it once. Yeah. The, only I was like, I, no. the only thing I remember about Burglar, other than Bobcat coming in and like doing doing the screaming Bobcat thing every <laughs> once in a while, right? That uh, and the, the 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 diamonds that she steals is in a frozen TV dinner in the <laughs> freeze. That's where they the person hides the diamonds. Mm, okay, that's Brilliant. all I remember. Brilliant. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, never was. So and then there's Hollywood Shuffle. Um, which I revisited recently after not having seen it. I don't think it's quite as funny. No, it's not. It doesn't hold up. No. Um, but you can't deny the importance of it. Uh, Robert Townsend made this movie on credit cards um, and you know got his friends and family together, anybody he could to help out with it, to make this statement on how uh, African Americans are cast in films. Yes. Usually at the time, it was like, you're either a pimp or a drug lord or something not at all you know, flattering. And this was a movie that was, I wish it was even angrier, you know? Like, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. the anger at the time, I think, was felt, but I think it... it More it, repressed, it, It's I think. a little, it's still, it feels really soft today. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially when you got guys like Chappelle and Chris Rock and, yeah. you know, the kind of, you know, comedy that's come out since then. Yeah. Uh, this does make it look a little tame in comparison. Yeah, yeah. Townsend was a good... <laughs> I mean, he like you said, there's an importance to this, even mm-hmm. if the film doesn't hold up today, because he did, because not just you know, because of this film, but he, he, he launched comedy specials, all black, you know, comedians, and obviously you could see the, the where the rise of that eventually led. I mean, Eddie Murphy was doing stuff at the time. Too, oh right, yeah, we'll get to that too. Um, but there, I mean, there, there's. I never thought Hollywood Shuffle was great, even at the time. There was stuff in the movie that was really funny. I think the Siskel and Ebert parody is, is still really funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, the stuff with the Winky Dinky Dog, I think all that stuff. John Witherspoon is always funny for me. Um, 
but yeah, no, is you're right that there is it, it, it was it was a good effort. Yes. Yeah, we'll say that it was a good effort. A you recognize effort. its it, its importance. Uh, does it hold up? No, but maybe it doesn't need to. Right. It was a it was an indie hit, mm-hmm. a yeah. big indie hit at the time, and uh, kind of caught everyone by surprise. Mm-hmm. And and was the right movie at the right time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah definitely. Sure. Uh, and then you got uh, Bruce Willis's big coming out uh, in, in film. Never saw this one either. You never saw this? I saw this in a theater. Blind Date. Uh, yeah. Blake yeah, Edwards' yeah, yeah, yeah. Blind Date, uh, which never, for me, never got funnier than the opening scene with the uh, James Brown car alarm. <laughs> Well, I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's funny. It's just it's just a commercial playing in the background on the radio while Bruce Willis gets ready for work. It's a James Brown car alarm. Ow! Ow! ow. Um, yeah. And after that, it, the movie doesn't quite get as funny. At, after that, it's not, it's slapsticky and silly. And John Laurelcat and Kim Basinger are in it too. Yeah, it's it, that um, was a movie. I mean, that was twelve year old me. Yeah, seeing that movie. And a lot of, I mean, I didn't really know, I didn't watch Moonlighting at the time, so I didn't really know who Bruce Willis was. Uh, I knew Kim Basinger a little bit, uh, but I watched Night Court, so John Larroquette was Mm. funny for me. And I, you know, it was, yeah, it's really stupid, and there's a lot of shouting and screaming and slapstick stuff, a lot of crashing into things, and uh, something that my mom really loves. She loves when the crash, John Larroquette's always crashing his cars into like buildings and stuff. Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> I'm sure he did in Madhouse as well. I, I like Madhouse. I know. You uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I can't imagine this. I haven't seen this movie in a while. I can't imagine it holds up in any capacity. Probably not. No. <laughs> it's just when I always saw the trailers, and I was like, eh, looks kind of dumb. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, Bruce Willis was a pretty was becoming a big star at the time because of Moonlighting, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a really innovative and really funny show. Um, one of the first like self-aware TV shows or self-aware comedies at the time oh. when when, yeah. when TV shows and weren't really doing that sort of thing. And he was incredibly charming on that. Him first and first moonlighting, Shepherd. then what? Like it's Gary San- Shandling show. Maybe like I mean self-aware kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. yeah, yeah, just winking mm-hmm. at the audience, breaking the fourth wall, and yeah. and 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 doing you know. A, there's a, a black and white episode, you know, a, a film black and white oh, yeah. noir episode. There's a Shakespeare episode that they tried. I mean, they just had a lot of fun on that, and that that was such a fun show. Mm. Um, so you know what's not fun? Mm. Police Academy Four. I was hoping to come on here and like defend. Well, speak it. for yourself. It's now we're in April. No, yeah, it's not. Fun. Which I also saw in a theater. Never saw yeah. it. It's one of my two Police Academy theater theater experiences. I still saw. I saw three and four. I in saw the theater. three and four in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty bad. Well, most of them are. Yeah. I mean, what, who are we kidding here? <laughs> you know, they're product of a time. Right. They exist. They're there. They're mm-hmm. part of our childhood in some respect. <laughs> There's Swirling one thing around. There's one thing that I think kind of holds up that I found myself laughing at is when they take, like, the new recruits, like David Spade, and try to scare them. Yeah. Into, like, thinking, like, they're going to run Bob into all Smith these horrible... Si- making yes. killer. It's horrible, but I yeah. liked it. Yeah, the first time I ever... You know, most That's funny. I saw David Spade. This is before right. Saturday Night Live. Right, and, yeah. and, and And also uh, Tony Hawk. Yama, 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 yama. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
28 million dollars made more than raising arizona just want to point that uh, out yeah they they did make money they, that, yeah, that they is were, the thing were, that's successful. why they kept going yeah yeah what's nice curls don't explode something from new world okay and i never heard yeah, of it i don't i don't know that one either okay, i well, we remember the title and like I, what kind of a movie title yeah, is yeah. That? new world roger corman still oh, right. you know yeah, 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 uh, yeah. they still cranking out goofy movies like that mm. on the cheap puppy i ever make love i'll explode nice girls don't explode the comedy with a kick there's a big hit on the horizon the next week uh, it's April bad time. he like has sex with his aunt the secret of yep. my success uh, with michael j fox and helen slater and who richard jordan and margaret witten okay wow there you go how does he have sex with his aunt? I don't remember. He doesn't know what's his aunt. Yeah, right, okay. I, yeah. He, he's hired to to drive home a corporate wife and brings her home, and then they have sex. He she seduces him, they have sex, and then he finds out afterwards that it's his aunt, that his her husband is his boss, who is his uncle. Yeah, this was one of those that could only be made in the '80s comedies, right? I mean, uh-huh. yes. it's just <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, and that, yeah. Well, that was the edge. That was the edgy part. Is that his aunt was had a thing, then became a thing for him, which is a weird thing considering the Back to the Future connection. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. wow, that you know that you know Fox now had done two movies where a relative has the hmm. hots for him, right? Um, Don't think that yeah. ever happened on Family Ties, but yeah, hmm. there's actually, and this, this is so. Not completely off topic, but there, there's there's some commercial that's on television right now that I'm pretty sure is sampling or stealing part of the score from The Secret of My Success. It's wow. some, I think it's a drug commercial or something <laughs> that I see it all the, all the time. And if you listen to the score of Secret of My Success, maybe you can put a little bit of it in there. But it kind of goes, dun, 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 dun. It's, one, it's like the it's hero anthem. And the, and the Christians. Oh, right. Yeah, right Night right, Ranger. Secret, right. The Secret of My Success. That's the theme song. And Herbert Ross directed it. And um, Ooh, the actual title, the title is Secret of My Success. The second to last S in success is a dollar sign. That's right. Officially in yes. the title. Yeah, he's, the cover's like him floating in a big giant uh, champagne yeah. glass or something. Do you yeah. want me to go find with, my. Uh, with the Twin Towers poster? in the background. Not my poster, but my novelization. Oh, God. <laughs> Serious. That's. Wild. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> How do we bounce back from this? I don't know. I'm like traumatized. Know. You want to pause? I can go find it. No. <laughs> um, oh, no. We can move on. Um, <laughs> what else is there? Uh, in April, you had so Project weird. X with uh, oh. Matthew Broderick and yes. Helen Hunt. Oh, yeah. Uh, the um, space chimp movie. Uh I remember space liking it a lot. Well, space chimp. That's a little, that's a, that's a little misleading. <laughs> right. Space chimp. They don't go into outer space. They're in an Air Force base. That's right. They're in an Air Force being, base. And the Project X I don't is, remember. Right. Well, it's like they got like the smart chimps, and they're training them to be pilots. Right. Okay. okay. But the, the Project X really is that they're training them to, to basically be thrown into a pit of radiation <laughs> to yeah. see how... Uh, human pilots would react if they ever fly through a mushroom cloud area, mm-hmm. basically. Right, okay. Which is a really stupid experiment. And Matthew Broderick then has 
the speech where he tells them how stupid it is, and then it becomes him and Helen Hunt have to save the chimps, and they have to fly away mm-hmm. kind of movie. Oh, the chimps can fly. They, well, that's yeah, because they're trained right. in the simulators. That's right, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, so they get they get all the chimps, and it's, it's, it's like that, like the brainstorm ending where they just they everything <laughs> has to go crazy at the end. Yep. you know, in the in the government lab, and they all the chimps wreck havoc, and then they escape, and they have to get over the electrified fence and all that stuff. It's kind of eerie how much brainstorm keeps coming up lately. It means I have to rewatch it because <laughs> uh, Shane Carruth sent me an email. Um, director of Upstream Color and Primer. That's right. Uh, one of my favorite directors, and he's like, you know what? Brainstorm's actually a pretty good movie if you turn it off ten minutes before the credits. It's, it's kind of true. Yeah. It's kind of true. I, 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 I saw Brainstorm. The music box had a 70 millimeter right. thing yeah, Patrick uh, a couple was there, years ago, and I went to see Brainstorm just because I'd never seen it in a theater before. And yeah, it's because, well, the end of the movie is that's after the Natalie Wood stuff happened. So yes. they really had to change... So the ending is completely off from it gets because it gets eighties wacky at the end. It's been right. short circuity uh, before short circuit was a thing, uh, mm. if you will. Yeah, Project yeah. X was okay. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I remember enjoying it, even though it it, it asks a lot of the audience in terms of suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah, you know what? I kind of go with it because I like this cast and I like the chimps. They're yeah, cute. it's it's kind yeah. of a you know in some weird weird way it's kind of an extension of war games. The, yeah, the Matthew Broderick yeah. connection yeah. there, well, obviously. Sure. Yeah, and the whole nuclear scare was still yes. a big thing in America at right. the time. Right, Manhattan um, Project. Yeah, so this is an extension. Do you remember who, of that. The, who the evil? Well, not evil is a strong word, but the who the doctor was who was doing the experiments in Project X. Yes, hmm. I don't remember. I don't William either. Sadler. Whoa. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. It was right after Tales from the Crypt was right around this period, I think, and that was hmm. one of the first times I think I saw William Sadler. I think because Die Hard Two wasn't until ninety and Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey. Well, that was ninety one. Right. Right. Uh, Shawshank was ninety four, obviously. So this was early Sadler. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what my first. It must have been Tales from the Crypt. I think. Yeah. Hmm. Um, we kind of kind of so. skipped over making Mister Right. Does anyone remember making Mr. Right? I remember it. Uh, I remember thinking it was okay. Um, Is this Malkovich? This was John Malkovich and Anne Magnuson, right. a rom-com where uh, John Malkovich plays an android. Yes. Right, yeah. Robot. Oh. Robot and uh, the scientist. He also plays the scientist who creates and the scientist creates and it looks just like Dual him. role. Yeah. So yeah. a dual comedic role from John Malkovich, which wow. is a weird thing to think about at the yeah, time. Yes. Um, and I remember that. thinking it was okay. Yeah, I only I only brought it up just for the fact that it, it was you know Susan Seidelman. It was her follow up to Desperately Seeking Susan right. at the time. So I mean, yeah, I don't which think I it's, like. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people like that movie. I hope so. uh, Making Mister Right. Yeah, I I think it's a good premise, but it never really had its potential. Yeah, and it's also about a mm-hmm. movie about a someone escaping and going into space. Right at the end of the movie. Maybe that's oh, why weird. I yeah. Um, another huh. movie. Uh, directed by a woman, and I say that because female directors weren't as common back then as maybe they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Diane Keaton uh, put out a documentary called Heaven, yeah, and it was kind of a pet project of hers for many years, and she finally you know got it done and, and put it out there. And I still go back to this movie because I think it's a lot of fun and it's weird and surreal and. Uh, it's the kind of thing you watch and you, you don't 
you never guess, you know, who the auteur is behind it. Um, it's made up of these, you know, interviews with people and what they think heaven is like. And they're done in these kind of very psychedelic lighting schemes that she's got going on in the interviews faces. Um, she puts in a lot of old movie footage, um, and uh, using music, uh, creating all these really cool sequences about, you know, is there sex in heaven? Is there love in heaven? What does heaven look like? Is there a God? And and she talks to, you know, biblical scholars and, you know, fire and brimstone evangelists and, and, average, and also just average people. And it's a really cool movie. Um, I, th- I definitely recommend people seek it out. It's only eight bucks on Amazon to to own, um, so I might okay. finally watch it. Yeah, I, I've never seen it. Yeah. It's it's yeah. great. It's, I, I remember it very well, but I just it never it never yeah. got in my radar. You played it in the background at some of your parties, and I remember I, thinking it was interesting. So. Yeah, I, I it's one of those movies I have to show people to get them interested <laughs> yeah. in it because you'll never go out and find it. Yeah. You know, you'll never come across it on cable mm-hmm. at all. You you have to have somebody tell you about it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing and, about I, I think about streaming too is like there's. When you're on Amazon and you type in a title now, it gives you not just like DVD and Blu-ray, but streaming options. And sometimes these offshoots, these channels like Fandor or Shudder, have these really obscure titles yeah. that I've been looking for and haven't seen, including one we'll get to maybe later. Yeah. And I, I, this is one of those that we can find easily on Amazon, so I'm glad I can I'm glad check it out. I'm glad it's easy to to see. I mean, it's because uh, it's 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 worth checking out. I mean, it didn't do much in the theaters, even in the art house circuit. It was a pretty. It was a pretty odd film even for its time uh but i think over time it's it it's uh, i mean it, it just kind of shows like what an interesting person diane keaton is just as an actress and as a director yeah um and uh she, she hasn't directed much since i mean she she made up uh, unstrung heroes which i think is really great that's good and oh, yeah. um mm-hmm. and hanging up which i thought eh, is not that great I and then she did she did that. one more too and i can't remember but this was first wives club no, but uh, this was uh, a personal project of hers that I think is really wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a lot to say about Extreme Prejudice, but I do remember really liking it when we did the Walter Hill episode, like, jeez, like five years, six years now. This might be my second favorite Walter Hill movie. Yeah, I really, I mean, it's like a postmodern Western kind of thing with it's his Nick Wild Watch. It's his Wild Yeah, watch, yeah, basically. yeah. It's his, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I mean, I need to just, see this again. It's, it, it's such a... It's, it's, a, it's a for one, it's a big cast. It's I mean, it's Nolte and Powers Booth and Michael oh, Ironside. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 core of the the sort of the bad Wild Bunch group. I mean, it's Clancy Brown, William Forsythe, Larry B. Scott from Revenge of the Nerds of, of all things. Um, you know, Tom Tiny Lister Jr. is in the film. It's 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 a wow. huge cast. Maria Cachino Alonso is the woman at the, at the center of it. I've always loved this movie. I think this movie is like Walter Hill in its purest form like everything that all the positives about walter hill you can you're just on display in this thing it's it's incredibly violent it is macho to the hilt yeah uh, that's the, what i remember a fantastic about it, yeah. score by J- jerry goldsmith and then movie a great score uh it's i've i've always loved this movie and it's not available i was gonna say letter i don't think it's even letterboxed on or it might be letterboxed on dvd but it's not available on blu-ray i i don't think it's ever been properly released at all and i've been uh wanting to watch this again and i can't yeah (laughs) i can't Hmm. find it such i mean it's 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 
white hat, black hat, old kind of western kind of ripped horns in, in the film. Yeah, uh, old, you know, black hat, white hat thing with mercenaries from you know f- disgraced mercenaries from the government pulling off a, a heist. I mean, it's just there's there's so much control of the drug village and the the explosive wild bunch ending that the, this movie has is just awesome if yeah. you just love bullets it's like flying the in all culmination directions. of walter hill's strengths on yes one movie. It, and i think that this i mean the, the period between 48 hours and this for him i mean he did he was trying different things i mean streets of fire southern obviously. comfort was good southern comfort well yeah, that was that was great before 48 hours oh yeah, uh, yeah. But, but no that's that's one of his strongest films too streets of fire obviously now finally getting a proper blu-ray release in the states in may uh, but then Brewster's Millions, uh, Walter Hill did comedy, which was a big it was a big hit for them. And then he did Crossroads with Ralph Macchio. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. last we, time. we talked about that on the '86 episode. But this was this was the 48 Hours Walter mm-hmm. Hill. This mm-hmm. was the the, the 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 Walter Hill that everyone grew a, a real fondness for, and uh, one of the last really great Walter Hill movies. So you can buy the movie on Amazon uh, You could s- to stream. Uh, stan- in HD, hopefully. No, standard definition, five ninety nine. Oh. So I'm guessing it's not Letterboxd. Cause- yeah, I have. I actually have it. Okay. Um, and it's not Letterboxd. Yeah, see, that ain't right. No, it's Bummer. not. Bummer. So. Yeah. I think it's only 185, but still, it's not, it's, there's yeah. no, ex- no excuse for that. No. Uh, oh, you can, it's only six bucks if you want to buy it in standard definition. Yep. Yeah. Huh. So that was April. Um, and then, uh, so now we're in May. No, Creep show too. No love for my demon lover. What? No, 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 <laughs> no not at all. Not a Scott Valentine fan. Are you? Not at all. No. Okay. No, that's okay. Didn't, uh, Nick yeah. on family ties. I know. No love. I know. Hey. No love. Yep. Hey. <laughs> Play Lola by the kinks. Um, <laughs> I like Creepshow Creep Show 2. We just, everyone just yeah. kind of stopped there in their tracks for a second. Creepshow 2. Another movie that's gotten a really good Blu-ray release late, recently. Recently, yes. yes. On uh, Arrow, Arrow? Vi- Arrow yeah, Video yeah. just released a really nice package for it. Um, yeah, we, we talked about this on, on on my podcast, too. And I, I was, the, the middle one with the raft, I think, is the creepiest, the yes. best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Hitchhiker one, more people love than I do. It's okay. It's it's kind of a it's a funny one gag thing. Yeah. Uh, the revenge story with the Indian, the first one is mm, it's you know it's not really it's not really that much of a horror movie because right. you're on the Indian side. But I just I, I remember the, the yeah the raft one just really got to me. It mm-hmm. was ugh. yeah <laughs> not as good as the but it first feels like there, show. there there was did they include it on the um, Blu-ray uh, the missing there's supposed to be there's supposed to be four there was well, yes I don't think. I don't did was it filmed? Oh, maybe it was I don't it. think it was filmed. I, I think thought it was, was like one of those like the what Todd Salons did with the storytelling is like they had the story, they filmed it, and then they just cut it out completely. You're one of those guys still waiting for Alien Love Triangle to come out. <laughs> <laughs> to obscure a reference uh, this early in the podcast, maybe, okay. maybe, but uh, yeah, they did release Imposter. Hmm. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I don't. I don't. Think so. Really? I'm trying. No. There was this. There. It, it was sometime in. I think it was in the '90s. It was this anthology, science fiction anthology movie that three known directors were a part of doing, and it and the whole project. And even though they filmed a good portion, they filmed the movie and it got scrapped. Now, Imposter, which was the movie that, that Gary Sinise movie, yes, Phil K. Dick. that was mm-hmm. one of the stories that they then took and then did more fo- huh. footage for to release as its own movie. I think Kenneth Branagh 
was involved with one. I think Kenneth Brown and Alicia Silverstone was involved in one of the chapters. Oh, weird. And then I think there was a third chapter that never ended up seeing the light of day. You re- research this because it's a really interesting. I don't huh. know if anyone's done, ever done a full breakdown of this, but it's it was this weird thing that was supposed to come out and it just went nowhere. Was hmm. Imposter any good? No, no, no. Because oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, I want to watch more. I'm not saying there's not a reason this, but it's just it's one of those things, just like one of these cinematic oddities that just is kind of like it has its own lore hmm. or maybe I'm the only one that remembers it it's possible okay so okay, so my name <laughs> lover okay. um, or no. my life as a dog <laughs> my life as a dog I, I went back and watched again I haven't watched yeah, I, it I wish I had um, I it's again. it's really good I remember though when I first when I first rented it um I my video store carried the dubbed version, so like, and I'd seen it, and I'd watched it a few times back in the day, yeah, because uh, I really liked it, and um, but I just remember when I watched it a few weeks ago. It's actually the first time watching it in its native language with subtitles, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of odd because I remember the voices they had for the American you know, dubbing was they were very very different um it's a this is a really good coming of age film it was kind of a, a, a it was it was a big art house hit at the time uh introduced the world to lassie holstrom who would go on to make some really wonderful films and then got kind of yeah, sidetracked and they got he definitely got weinsteined um uh but this is a really good coming of age film um it takes place in sweden in the 50s i believe and uh, it's a boy who has to go stay with a, an, ex, an extended part of his family uh, while his, his mother is, is dying. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, some of the characters he comes across are kind of, you know, crazy and, and funny and quirky. Definitely quirky. Uh, one of the characters is constantly playing this record over and over and over again while he's working in this house. And it's like, dude, get a new record. It, it, it's like. Even the viewer like can't stand listening to this song that he listens to over and over and over again. Um, so, uh, but it's a it's a good film, really good film. And uh, Criterion put it out too, and it's a good Criterion edition. So, yeah, I remember being disappointed he didn't actually turn into a dog like Tim Allen. Well, he no, but he <laughs> um, there's there's a like reason Dean for Jones, that title. Damn you. Oh, Dean yeah. Jones, sorry. Nice. Okay, another okay. A sequel that I don't. I never saw American Ninja, so. Uh, yeah, I got nothing to say. The entire American Ninja series is available on Blu ray now. Oh, I good. I'll tell you that. Okay. Michael Dudikoff. Again, Canon. This is mm-hmm. part of that Canon Canon. That's right. Um, Four yeah. million dollars it made. Yep. <laughs> There's three titles in the middle here I've not. I don't know what they are and never heard of. Tell me, which ones? I, I think Malone, I know. All Nighter, and Gardens of Stone. Gardens of Stone is Coppola. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's, a, it's his. Uh, one of the few uh, vietnam films that came out this year um post vietnam but vietnam was still part of the subject so like you know now that platoon came out and was a huge hit and won all the oscars and it's like okay game on now we now we know how to make vietnam films without going over budget like coppola did with apocalypse now uh oliver stone did it so now we can do it and so this is one of these films in coppola's um Uh, filmography where he's still paying off one from the heart. Yes. <laughs> um, and But it's I remember it being pretty good. I haven't seen it since, yeah. but I remember it being not bad. Yeah, is it good, good cast. cast. James Conn's yeah. very good in the movie. I think, isn't Mary Stewart Masterson yeah. in the movie? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, good cast, very well acted. Uh, that's mostly what I remember about it was the actors and the performances. Uh, not as much this it's, again. It's probably been since like 1988 since I've actually mm. sat down to see this movie. Uh, Malone is another in your Burt Reynolds 
cannon. Mm-hmm. If you've the the, the, uh, the Burt Reynolds of the shotgun on the box of the video, <laughs> yeah. uh, the video store. And All Nighter is the Susanna Hoffs right. Joan Cusack Whoa. film. And Dee Dee Pfeiffer. I love we're, both we're of talking them. We're talking about, uh, you know, crushes from this period. This is the movie that was sold, basically, with Susanna Hoffs from The Bangles uh, doing exercises in her bra and panties. <gasps> That's, that was how this movie was basically sold. <laughs> Pretty much. And yeah, I'm, not, I'm not telling yep. stories here. Nope. Um, and if you, were, you had a kind of little Dee Dee Pfeiffer crush at the time, you could... She was in the movie, too, and Joan Cusack was in the film. Oh, my... Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you seeing that scene? Are you yeah. watching that scene? No, I'm just seeing the cover. I'm like, oh, Susanna yeah. Hoffs. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yeah. says uh, an enormously likable romp, Jack Curry. Jack Curry. U- USA Today. We all know Jack Curry. Of course. <laughs> no, we, no, we don't. No. Uh, it's not a good film. It's, beach it's, party comedy? Come on. Yeah, it's it's not a good film. Well, we'll be talking about another beach party comedy yeah. coming up. Yeah. Um, but then we got things get take a turn for the dark uh, with the teen genre with The River's Edge. Yeah. Uh, which was a pretty big deal at the time mm-hmm. um, because it was written it was written by the guy who did Over the Edge. And this guy writes, uh, I don't get his name, I got the DVD right here, uh, Tim Hunter. Um, this guy, you know, likes to write teen movies about, you know, the... the Sort of the darker outcast yeah. teenagers at this time. These, these uh, I remember these kinds of kids were called burnouts. You know, they mm-hmm. wear the the mm-hmm. jean jackets with the with the uh, you know Motley Crue or Metallica, you know, written on them, and you know, smoking in the smoking section, growing their hair really long. I remember that's what they were called. Yeah, and um, they certainly went to my high school at the time. They're mentioned in and, Clueless, and. Um, <laughs> And this is a, a, a really, really terrific movie, but uh, with uh, Crispin Glover and Keanu Reeves, uh, Ione Sky, um, Dennis, Dennis Hopper, Hopper and uh, you know they've the, the, one of their one one of the teenagers in this pack of of kids uh, murders his girlfriend and leaves the body by the river, and the, everyone's a trying to figure body. out yeah. a naked body, and everyone's kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And yeah, Dennis Hopper plays the the crazed drug dealer who lives with the blow up doll, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Crispin Glover plays the Crispin the, Glover, a, a crazy <laughs> yeah. The, the the role only Crispin Glover can take and make his own. Yeah, it is an extreme Crispin Glover performance, yeah. um, and it almost. I mean, it it the, when you watch the movie today, I still think it's really good. I still think it's 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 uh, a, a great product of its time, but it it almost plays like a comedy now. Was this when Crispin Glover appeared on Letterman for this movie? Or it was, it? was actually, yeah. yeah, it was. This wow. was uh, what he was promoting at the time when he went crazy on Letterman. Yeah, and uh, I remember I've never seen that live. Me too. And but I still I I still think River's Edge is is really a, a terrific movie that. Um, you know, this is could sort of pre Harmony Corinne, if you will. Right. Yeah. Sort of right. Right it's into that. Like mold. an early Gus Van Sant movie, too, a little bit, like Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah. Talk a little about, bit. Sure, you could put that in. Maybe. Yeah, you could throw that in there. Yeah. I, I remember, yeah, I have, I wanted to rewatch this one, too, but I didn't get a chance, but I just remember really liking it, and it was one of those that. I think my dad and I watched, and we just went, "Oh boy, this is making us uncomfortable." It's you know, oh, uncomfortable really, in word. a good way. Yeah, was, yeah. River. It was a movie that was put on my radar by Siskel and Ebert. They were mm-hmm. big yeah. champions of this movie, and when I saw it, you know, having only known Crispin Glover from one particular movie and a Family Ties episode, I'm like, what the f- going on with this guy here? And yeah. yeah, it's 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 an uncomfortable film. I just remember seeing it. I went. I snuck into it at the theater. 
and um, remember the opening shot, not the opening credits shot, because that's different, but like the opening shot is the dead girl like looking right at the camera, her mm. just her dead eyes, and I remember just being uh, really startled yeah. by that. Um, Man, really penetrating. So weird because when you said Crispin Glover from the Family Ties episode, I immediately pictured him going. Alex, your mother is here. You know, is that the weird? Episode, that is no. That's, I just that's, that. yeah, because they go to the Canadian bar. Yes, to because they could get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, they were younger and they could get into the bar. And I just remember, time. like, oh my god, they're together again. Right. Uh, Alex, that's Colonel Keaton. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Colonel Keaton. I mean, what is it? Your mother's here. <laughs> Right. to become a Joshua Miller. Joshua Miller. Yeah. Joshua Miller. Uh, is he the son of Jason Miller? I think. Because he's gone on to become like a horror director and I've heard him on podcasts. Maybe. And, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. But I also just remember him from the Wonder Years episode where Kevin wanted oh, to be a right. rock star. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. The Electric Shoes. One yes. show I never watched. Oh. Wonder that's shocking. Mm. That is shocking. Yeah. It's like right in your 80s wheelhouse. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's just one of those shows that I never... Not that I didn't like it, I just I just didn't watch it. You know, yeah, you should. It's not. It still kind of holds. I, up. Yeah, I, I think have. I think I, it, I have the entire set. You right should down watch the hall. it. Yeah, watch, watch it now. It. Yeah, <laughs> I got. Yeah, sure. I got like six years. What, what, the, what the hell? Oh, they're twenty-two you, minutes. You can you can help <laughs> me with the Madeline versus Winnie debate because I was I, always like, I could do that. Kevin, right now. just go with Madeline. How old were they at the time? <laughs> Am I going to get in trouble if I? Solve this debate right now? No, let's no. not. Oh no, this. it might be uncomfortable. I'm sure yeah. they were high school age. Might be a little <laughs> well, awkward. Well, who they older? Older now, right? But the I, girl, I know the, Madeline, is. was in Erie, Indiana. The, she was oh. the daughter in Erie, Indiana, and I was just like, man, what's what's ever happened to her? Well, of hmm. course, she became a lawyer. <laughs> Winnie, is, Winnie is very smart, which is a turn yeah. On. She's a oh, of course, yeah. No, not, she became a math math yeah. genius. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I like Blossom now. Whoa! Because she's a neuroscience nerd. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't watch Big Bang Theory. You shouldn't. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> anyway. So. Uh, my little darling. My little darling. I can't believe these men may control the fate of the Middle East. Where are you? Do it. Uh, but Ishtar was widely panned, definitely. Uh, they definitely hated it, and, and it was widely panned. There were some defenders of it, though. Uh, the reason why it was so notorious was because it was uh, a movie directed by Elaine May, and it went way over budget um, con- because she was constantly reshooting. She'd do, like, 50 takes for every scene. Uh, it got it achieved this sort of Heaven's Gate level of notoriety for its budget, um, and the fact that it was a comedy made it even harder uh, to deal with because uh, you know if you're if you're making a movie if you're spending this kind of money on a film it better be funny, um, and for a lot of people did not get Ishtar at the time because a lot of the humor in Ishtar is based on behavior and. Uh, like we watch the office and we know we get the behavior we get the you know um you know why these characters are they don't know how inept they are as mm-hmm. as people and so we can kind of laugh with them 
Um, yeah, and Ishtar, yeah. like these are uh, Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty are playing two of the worst singer songwriters oh you God. can imagine, the, the, and that's where the jokes movie. Where I'm just like tears coming right, out with but their that's songs. that's where the jokes were. But people thought, oh my God, Sid, uh, Hoffman and Beatty are terrible in this movie. They can't sing. The songs are really bad, and it's just bad. Like irony wasn't it's, really a thing yeah, in the eighties at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I mean, huh. we had Spinal Tap. We got the joke there. But hmm. uh, but for some reason, Ishtar point. went over people's heads. And now you watch it today and you get it. Yeah. And um, it has been reevaluated. Uh, it has, you know, uh, even the music box played it uh, for a few days as a uh, as a kind of retrospective. Uh, I, I forget when they did. It. I think like 2012 they had it there. And, you know, uh, this is a movie that deserves to be rediscovered and reevaluated. If you don't laugh, you don't laugh. That's fine. But it's far from the worst film. I mean, I mean, of this year, I mean, or of this time period, it, it is not, it does not deserve its reputation. There's a lot of funny stuff in Ishtar. There's some dead moments too. There are some moments where you feel this. Yeah. They're hanging out in the desert. And, yeah. Well, like towards the end, I mean, anytime it gets into the actual plot, it sags, it does, but yeah. Uh, but I think Hoffman and Beatty are terrific, and uh, there's just some really the songs are hilariously bad, and they're supposed to be. And, the, and I, mm-hmm. there's funny, there's good T- stuff. Tell in them you want to buy a blind camel, Colin. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Charles Grodin is good. It's kind of interesting, you know, because box office is such a prevalent thing. I mean, it, oh, I mean, it has been to an extent, but then it kind of got mainstreamed at, at, at some point. And th- this is one of those movies that was again the budget was the story that yeah. was it was it was a you know, 55 million dollar production which was massive wow. at the time i mean to put it in put it in context in 89 the abyss cost like 65 million i think and that was considered like the you know crazy you know how crazy that was 55 so, million right so which seems a lot of money for a you know a comedy even with the star driven yeah. comedy and it's just it, it kind of shows you the extent where when a budget like that becomes the story that even even critics tend to miss the miss the point they mm-hmm. tend to get that in their head and they tend to you know we, we you always hear the, the 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 phrase is the money on the screen sometimes hmm. and you hear I never the, think of that well they? maybe you maybe you don't but um like I mean well, there's a movie out right now called the great wall where it's 150 million dollars and yeah. the defenders of that movie Say things like, "Well, the money you know he used every cent of his hundred and fifty million mm-hmm. like that matters sometimes uh I defend the Lone Ranger, but the story of that movie was a too big huge two hundred fifty million dollar budget, and I mm-hmm. think sometimes when the budget becomes the story it's very e- it's easier to dismiss it sometimes and I think that's absolutely what happened with Ishtar it was you know granted the production's go out of control all the time, and if no one had mentioned the budget, would the movie have been as panned at time. I think it's sometimes the the extent that production history can feed into that bias that we all have sometimes going into something and sometimes works out for the better, sometimes works out for the worse. But this yeah. is clearly one of those things that everyone I talk to sees this chart now really likes it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the time everyone's just like, oh that's mistaken that bad, identity that's that bad spy comedy. kind of a thing. Yeah. And, that's that bad yeah. comedy that uh, costs so much. I bought a ticket 
<laughs> I gave don't. I gave to the box office yeah. of Ishtar. You gave to its <laughs> fourteen million that it made. <laughs> exactly. At the time. Exactly. Again, Police Academy Four did more than Ishtar. <laughs> yeah, right. No. Yeah. yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I love the gate. Yeah, I know you do. I know. <laughs> you can talk about. You can the talk game. about the gate. Well, oh come on! I have nothing it's to great. say. No, I I haven't seen it since I well, first I mean, came out on video. I, I have no. I I certainly remember seeing this on pay per view again, mm-hmm. and I don't know that this was. Oh, it had to have been the time where we got a little cheater box thing. Do you know what uh, the yeah. cheater box? I know. Is? Well, I, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, so I, I was able to watch. One, yeah, I was able to watch this, and as a kid, it just. It tapped into something where, because, like, I kind of was that one guy who had, you know, maybe one or two friends and wish I had a closer relationship with my sister, but she moved out to California. And so it's like a bunch of quirky, you know, youngsters getting involved in some mysterious demon-like activity. Um, and I liked I liked the character of Terry the Nerd. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, I mean, I don't know. I think I just... I do have these weird dreams, you know, that I had I had these weird dreams as a kid, probably which stems from poltergeist, just like things happening in the backyard, mm-hmm. like either with skeletons or with a giant tree. Yeah. And so like the just the, the, the impetus for all the chaos in this movie is just like there's a, a gateway to hell in your backyard. And for some reason as a kid I found it to be a little plausible. <laughs> um and like, you know, there's just some weird imagery. There's a, the moment where like uh, the dad comes back in a demon form and his face starts melting and it just falls down. And the, I think the effects are the star of this movie, without question. Without question. Yeah. I mean, like, it's the plot is eh. And, you know, <laughs> you're know. coming around. You're coming around to our side I'm, of thinking. But I still love Keep talking I, yourself well, out of it. You'll get there. I mean, maybe as a kid, I was like, this is a five star movie. And now it's like a four star movie. But I, have I still no like it. opinion. I, I'm not even I'm not on either side of the fence. Oh, yeah, I God, saw the, it. The, I the, thought it was OK. And then yeah. I moved on. I remember <laughs> seeing the trailer in the theater and thought it was one of the coolest trailers I had ever seen. The construction worker that, falling. Down. For that moment that you're referring to, like, that was cool. Yes. And then I saw the movie on home video. I'm like, this is not that cool. Uh, those moments are kind of cool. And but you know, and this is a movie, again, I was 12. This is a movie that's right in that wheelhouse that I should be like. I wasn't a Monster Squad guy either. To this day, I'm still not a Monster Squad I, guy. It's okay. It's yeah. just yeah, okay. I've never, I've never been into that movie. Uh, it's to this day, and I've, I've tried. I have tried. And the gate has just got a big Vestron collector series release on Blu-ray. I will be picking and it up. And I would, I would, I would love to see a really good print. I mean, Grant, I've never seen a. I don't think I've ever even seen the movie Letterboxd, frankly. Yeah. If it plays on the big screen, I am there 100. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I, so I would love, I would be happy to revisit it in a pristine form. But uh, otherwise, no. The sequel is horseshit. <laughs> the Gate Two is one of the worst movies I ever seen. I remember that was another early memory of like me and my friends being excited about a sequel, and then we all walked out and like, God, that was. Did awful. that hit in theaters? Yeah, it did. It played at a. It played in the suburbs. Gate Two: The Trespassers. Yes. And it had it had just had the nerd it guy. Still had, yeah, right? it just had the nerd guy. The same director, Tibor Takis. Yeah, who and the, well, this one was apparently had a nervous breakdown. Or oh, okay. Now I do. God damn. Now I everything remember. turns to shit. Like they make wishes from the demons, and then all their wishes turn to shit. So I they, don't know if I ever saw this, but now I remember the. I know the. I know the poster. I know and the you know video who's, box. You know who's the girl in this? Well, you probably can look at that up. Well, right I'm, now. Going, I'm, I'm going. You to. got to. Uh, Pam, Pamela Adlon. Yeah, Pamela Siegel at the time. Pamela Correct. Adlon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, I, I'll, I'll stand by the gate. Okay. okay. I, re- I really will. Yeah. Uh, it's rated R for scenes of drug use, gate two, by the way. This one. Bring that up. So, yeah, that was a movie. I was like, why was this rated R? Yeah, drug use. <laughs> so, uh, another sequel, sequel, the big sequel of this month, uh, turned out to be the highest grossing film of the summer, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, I watched it in January, probably haven't seen it since it came out, and wow, what a piece of garbage this movie is. Yeah. A vile piece of garbage. Uh, in all, in every way. Not the least bit funny. Eddie Murphy is, like, so, such a bore in this movie. Tony um, Scott, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, I, it, it is a movie that hates women so much. That's one thing I vividly remember. It really hates women so much. Because I think so my much. dad and my mom um, watched this, and that was one thing they told me about it. Yeah. After it was over, it's like, man, this was a misogynistic movie. I didn't know what misogynistic meant. But. Right, but, oh, I mean, this is what it means. Just watch yeah, just watch this movie. This is, uh, just watch the, that. This is in the dictionary. Yeah. Uh, and, I wa- and, I, and it got me to look up, like, is this the worst movie to ever be the highest grossing film of the summer? That's an interesting topic. The, but, uh, so I went through, like, every year, and I'm just like, no, no, Batman Forever is better than this. Uh, no, uh, Independence Day is better than this, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I got to Transformers 2, and I was like... Okay. Transformers 2 Transformers 2 is worse, worse than mm-hmm. this, but yeah. it's still Is it more misogynistic or just worse? It's racist. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I never seen any of the Transformers. Racism is yeah. never watched. Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> worse. Let's rank them. Uh, we could go either way here actually. Um but no, Beverly Hills Cop 2 is just a rank piece of garbage. Um Yeah, and I've, I've liked a lot of Tony Scott movies, but he made some horrible movies. 153 million uh for this film. Luckily, it wasn't the highest grossing film of the year. Something else would unseat that later on, mm-hmm. but uh, but this was just just awful. And who had it on their their top ten list? Do you remember this? Oh, Dave Kerr, <laughs> Jeffrey it, Lyons. Jeffrey Lyons had it on his top ten list. Yeah, uh, he did. Yes. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Um, or if not, he definitely was like the top critic who praised it. Really? I remember like he had a big quote at the top of the yeah. of every ad saying how much he loved it. Um. But, it, I mean, it is just, I mean, every scene with Eddie Murphy is just him launching into a crazy character and trying to talk his way in or out of a situation. It has no bearings on anything. Uh, it's just him being loud and obnoxious. And I like the first Beverly Hills Cop movie. Sure. It's fun. But this was just like, he, he I don't know what he was taking or you know during this film, well, but two it was like and three are pretty awful. Like I know three two is better is, than this. Yeah, three is better than oh, three. I, can't, not I good. can't go there. I three can't. is not good. Three is three is three just ha- it garbage. Takes, it has a has scene that takes place at Six Flags though. I, well, the whole movie <laughs> takes place at Six Flags. Does it? Pretty much. Hmm. That's I mean that the whole setting is the Wonder World. Uh, setting. Uh, I mean, he's rescuing people from the Ferris wheel and stuff. Okay. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, yeah. So now we're moving into June. Um, lots to talk about in June. I mean, really. Uh, I mean, it's, it was a busy it's, summer. It was a busy, yeah, busy, very summer. busy summer. Uh, starting with uh, the Untouchables. Not um, bad. Not bad. Not, yeah, it's not fine. bad. <laughs> it's it's fine. Pretty awesome. It's, I think. Yeah. What yeah. The frick, man? <laughs> wait, wait. This is this again. Is, I wanted to rewatch it to confirm my. Uh, I've always thought of it as like a three star three star uh, Brian movie. Brian De Palma movie at probably his peak at this point, um, doing a a big budget studio 
remake television thing with a David Mamet screenplay mm-hmm. with Costner and De Niro mm-hmm. and Sean Connery in his Oscar-winning role. This movie rules. Uh, and and okay. Costner's yeah. big Costner's big breakout film. I mean, he was in Silverado. Yeah, uh, co-star. I just remember him being kind of blank for most of the movie, like not really charismatic or anything. But maybe well, he's, mistaken. That's, he's suppo- that's who he's supposed to be, though. He's okay. supposed to be the straight-laced guy. That, yeah, yeah, his yeah, entire yeah. arc of the movie is going from straight-laced government agent to a guy that will shoot you in the back if you mm-hmm. do something wrong. That's the whole point of the movie. Okay, one yeah. of the points of the movie, but yeah. that's you know that's the arc that his character takes. I I, I this is a movie uh, again that has ties to my talent show mannequin stuff uh, <laughs> that I remember getting the. VHS of this movie, and I think I broke the VHS tape because I, in the day that I had the movie, I watched it over and over and over again. I just remember, just it, it was a movie that never stopped. I mean, it was once it got going, and once it be, they became the Untouchables. There are so many fantastic action sequences and mm-hmm. suspense sequences throughout that movie. It's like you you think that everything is done with with, with a train station sequence, which is, you know, at the time I didn't know it was a Battleship Potemkin ripoff. Okay, I just thought this is one of the coolest action scenes I've ever seen. And then you got the courthouse action scene where the rooftop chase that ends spectacularly. Uh, And then the movie's so awesome that I didn't even notice how great the the screenplay was Mm -hmm. so often. I I love, this is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, and okay, uh, I'll watch it tonight. And a very, <laughs> it's been so long. Also, yeah, a very well I deserved. Just, like, uh, I thought it was alright. Yeah. Oh, very well deserved uh, nomination for score. Also, yeah, great uh, Ennio Morricone yeah. score, fantastic score. Jeez, yeah, I four, I think four score. Oscar nominations. Got a art direction, I think, and Connery. Mm-hmm. Connery obviously won. Um, maybe shouldn't have won. We'll get into that a little bit later, but a well deserved nomination for sure. Yeah, and then the same day you got Harry and the Hendersons, <laughs> and. I think this is like this is you know Spielberg pretty much putting his name on anything at this point. I mean, well, I think it was just the, it was just an Amblin production. He wasn't credited as a producer. I don't think. I thought he was because I I put it on one time. Uh, it's on Netflix right now. Uh, it's I haven't watched it in a long time. Oh, don't. Yeah, it's I just, just. I wasn't crazy. What if you're a big kid? John Lithgow fan? I mean, it's almost two hours. Yeah, and it's a really long, laborious two hours mm-hmm. of. Yeah, I remember that. I remember feeling like this is with okay. one of the most annoying kid performances yeah, ever. That too. I I saw this in the theater with my parents. I remember thinking I was pretty restless. Like I thought it was yeah mm. nothing stood out for me when I saw yeah, it. Yeah, it didn't really stick no, with me. It shouldn't. Um, and then you got uh, the Witches of Eastwick, which is the you know. Certainly George Miller's weakest film, but yeah, we talked. But about the, that, yeah, yeah, we talked. I know I was on the Miller podcast for Directors Club, and um, it's it's his weakest film, but that's not bad. No. There's some interesting I mean, that's, things. If that's going your, on. if that's the worst thing you've done, that's pretty good. But it's also <laughs> yeah. the film that was taken. It was, was taken away from him, from him at yeah. that time too. But yes. I think what's left is very entertaining. I think it's a, you know I'm, I'm, I I know. It's based on a book, and I think that there was there was a lot of changes from the book, from what I understand. Yeah, but uh, Nicholson is incredibly entertaining in that movie. It's such a great cast: Cher and Susan Sarandon and uh, Michelle and Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously, plus Richard Jenkins and yeah. uh, Veronica Cartwright. That's, it's uh, that was surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we were just talking about a movie that was all about misogyny, and here's a movie mm-hmm. that is sort of the antithesis mm-hmm. to that. I mean, that's the whole sort of point of the movie is you know female empowerment. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. I, 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 no, I, it's it's okay. I think it I think it gets a little too bogged down in these supernatural special, effects. special effects stuff yeah. at the end. I think it gets it, it just kind of drags uh, after a while. But that the church first speech th- is so great. Oh, the, yeah. oh yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> That's great. I mean, a lot of the Nicholson stuff is fun in this. Mm-hmm. I think the first hour works better than the second hour, but him um, trying to seduce Cher on the bed is great. Yeah. I remember that. Um but it and and a, and a really again a nominated score by uh, John Williams, mm-hmm. very very charming score that he did for this film, uh, and uh, a pretty good decent hit for for that summer. Oh, yeah. It was a, like it was the summer of like the rated R movies are kind of taking over with Beverly Hills yeah. Cop Two, The Untouchables, sure. Witches of Eastwick. These were all big hits, and another and one, on, another the same one day. on the same mm. day. Um, Predator. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> I wish I had chance to revisit this. I haven't seen it in a long, long time, so I'm gonna... I don't have much Always to say. Always enjoyed Predator. Yeah. yeah. Always enjoyed Predator. Um, although, I... This, there, there was this... Uh, Patrick Bromley does this F this movie fest. I don't know if you've ever participated in it, but this year he did 1987, basically. Hmm. And one of the movies we did was Predator. And so I was watching Predator for like the 15,000th time because it is on cable a lot. Well, what do you do with F this movie? What is... Oh, the, okay, this? the premise of, of F this movie, Donette, is that he it's five movies throughout the day, okay? Mm-hmm. And everyone is on Twitter and, okay, now press play. You get your DVD out, you press play of the movie and then everyone watches the movie and does commentary okay. on Twitter. That's kind of uh, cool. They did Streets of Fire sure. uh, right, right. a couple years ago. So we did, so Pred- we did Predator, we did Raising Arizona, uh, and the, the thing that, about Predator is that I really love the first hour and 15 minutes of the movie when it just becomes Schwarzenegger versus the Predator. Yeah. It's, I'm not as thrilled about that I will, section. I'll agree with that. Yep, Predator 2, the first hour and 15 minutes I'm not crazy about. Then when it becomes Danny Glover versus the Predator, I actually think that that stuff is pretty well done. Yeah. Um, they do some really like horrible stereotypes in Predator 2 with like the Jamaican... Oh, God. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, we, yeah, that's a whole other story. But, uh, but yeah. Predator... I, I, I've always Predator is a very as e, Roger Ebert said about it, um, it. This is Hollywood being creative because it's a movie that starts like Rambo and ends like Alien. Yeah, you know, and it's and a great ensemble. Like, yeah, everybody's a, memorable. It's a it. great peanut butter and chocolate kind of concoction, and it's it's very entertaining. Shane Black is a star in the movie. Tell uh, some great jokes. Tell some, <laughs> tell some great jokes. Uh, Alan Silvestri's score is really mm-hmm. fantastic in it. Uh, yeah, I you know, a very entertaining film. John Mc, movie that basically launched John oh, McTiernan. That's right. Yeah, I mean, no, he did Nomads, but you know, I don't not remember, about, I don't no one talks that. about Nomads. But this is the movie that you know, pre Die Hard, this Predator. Now, The Believers is a movie that I also remember seeing trailers for on pay per view yeah. and was like creeped out by it big yeah. time. Because yeah. I have, a, I just have this weird thing with cults and religious cults and things like that. I, but. I, I didn't rewatch it recently, but I think I watched it again like five years ago, and it, uh, it didn't. It's it was ugly, very it's, slow. Yeah, it's a, it's slow. It's an ugly film. I mean, it yeah. starts it starts with the the kid's mom, for God's sakes, standing in milk and getting electrocuted on the coffee pot. Uh huh. Just really just an ugly it's, way. And Martin Sheen can't do anything about it, so it's just Martin Sheen doing like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. that. So and then what happens to Jimmy Smiths in the film is really kind of repulsive and ugly and. Uh yeah, you know if, if you're gonna give me a voodoo movie, I'll do Serpent in the Rainbow. Yes, thank yeah. you very much. That's, I agree. Yeah. Um, anybody watch Million Dollar Mystery? Not lately. <laughs> Have they found the money yet? Has anyone won that money? So Million Dollar Mystery was this comedy that came out um, in June, and it's 
was a marketing thing, really. It was it was the movie itself was just this kind of it's a mad, 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 mad world kind of wannabe hmm. film. This sort of madcap chase film. All these crazy characters traveling across the country searching for this million dollars. You must and, love this movie, Eric. It's like Midnight Madness kind of a thing. And no, it's not like that. No. <laughs> although, although Deason is in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what the studio did was they marketed this film as something that everybody could go and see and then try to actually solve. So like at the end of the million dollar mystery movie, the characters actually look at the camera, look at the audience and tell them, "Hey, the money is out there somewhere. If you pay attention to the clues in the opening scene with uh, Tom Bosley, as he's yes. dying, oh my. Um, you might be able to find the million dollars, and it, you can win. And then the credits what? roll, and then the credits roll. And you could actually have found clues because Tom, oh Tom Bosley God. was the spokesman for Glad Garbage Bags. That's right. At the time, and they had a co, so it was a co-sponsor thing that there were clues in packages of you know <laughs> of Glad Richard trash bags. Yes. Yeah, Richard Fleischer's last film, wow. and uh, yeah, it is awful <laughs> it's just awful you can see why they had to go to great lengths to market this thing to get anybody to come see it it's so bad uh i, I won't be seeking this one out no i do not 50 bucks i do not recommend anybody see it out of curiosity uh it was just one of those marketing things that just went it just went wrong uh but then you got Two great two, comedies. Well, one great comedy. One I don't think is that great. Two I don't think are that great. But the great one I think is Roxanne. Yeah, um, I like Dragnet. I I Dragnet does not hold up for me. Oh, does for me. Yeah, mm. I, like, I like Dragnet. Mm-hmm. It's got I think some it's, good moments. I think it's really slow. There's two things worth wa- that make Dragnet worth watching: uh, Dan Aykroyd and Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman's hilarious. Tom Hanks yeah. is funny in Tom it. Tom Hanks is doing his bachelor party yeah, character. That's, it's, that's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. Me. No, I'm fine I mean, with it's, that. It's okay, but it's just it, it's an hour and forty five yeah. minutes. It feels way longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, no. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I. Yeah. I have. I have more than a soft spot for Dragon. I, I really <laughs> think that movie's very funny. The. I mean, the the plot is stupid, and it's, yes, it's, it is. It's it, it, it's Ackroyd in his period is post Ghostbusters period where like everything was a conspiracy. So like he had yeah. these came up with these like really outlandish ideas and whatnot and He still he, feels he, that way, doesn't oh, he? God, with aliens yeah. and stuff. Totally. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Which is kinda cool and kind of stupid sometimes. Yeah. Uh but you know, like it's a detective you know, it's a dragnet story about a cult. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which That's is right. a weird thing, but come on, pagan yeah. what's what's pagan stand for? Come on. People against goodness and normals. Thank you very that's much. Right. Okay, which yeah. is funny. Is really <laughs> yeah, funny. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But no. But please, Roxanne. Roxanne. Roxanne's better, better movie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Steve Martin's take on Cyrano de Bergerac with uh, uh, Daryl Hannah, and then like pop- he populates uh, French. Skepsi directed this mm-hmm. um, and does a really, really nice job uh, with, with like bringing this little town to life. It's almost Stars Hollow. Yeah, like. I was mm-hmm. just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, um, totally. A lot of really funny supporting characters. Fred Willard has one of my favorite lines in the movie. Fred when he's in this? I need he's the mayor. He's, he's the mayor, right. yeah. Damon yeah. Wayans is one of the um, firefighters. Fire firefighters. Michael nice. J. Pollard. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Shelley line, the Duvall. line that the line that cracks me up is with um, with Fred Willard when he's giving the toast at the party, and he says, "I would rather be with the people of this town," and everyone goes, "Aw," than with the finest people in the world, and everyone just cheers and then yeah. stops. And goes, Wait, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, Roxanne is a just. I mean, it is Steve Martin is most charming. I mm-hmm. mean, Steve, Steve Martin obviously gets credit all the credit in the world for being one of the great humorists uh, ever, certainly of our time, but but ever. But he had this really f- fantastic romantic streak in him, which is evident in this and L.A. Story. L.A. Story yeah. is so good. Uh, and and those two movies, watch you watch back to back, you see a real beating heart mm-hmm. yeah. inside Steve Martin, who wrote both of these movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there, there, there's there's so much great stuff in Roxanne. And, and as a fan of obviously of Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, it's be very easy to just do a really lame update, modern update of that story. And he he just infused it with his own sensibility, and it's 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 marvelous. Yeah, yeah. and the scene where he does twenty nose jokes Fan. is classic, amazing, Boy, classic. I'd hate to see the grindstone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could de-emphasize your nose if you wore something larger, like Wyoming. Oh. <laughs> Personal. Well, here we are. Just the three of us. <laughs> Punctual. All right, Delman, your nose was on time, but you were 15 minutes late. <laughs> Envious. Oh, I wish I were you. Gosh, to be able to smell your own ear. <laughs> Naughty. Uh, pardon me, sir. Some of the ladies have asked if you wouldn't mind putting that thing away. <laughs> Philosophical. You know, it's not the size of a nose that's important. It's what's in it that matters. <laughs> Humorous. Laugh and the world laughs with you. Sneeze and it's goodbye, Seattle. Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's Vietnam movie. Um, and uh, pretty pretty great <laughs> you know yeah first half is great i'm one of those people this is yeah this is the the disconnect on this mm-hmm. movie and it's been mm-hmm. that that disconnect for 30 years they yeah. love the basic training stuff in the movie and then they're kind of confounded by the second half and and i will I'll, I'll throw this at you because we did we just did this movie at uh at elk grove cinema actually this uh at first 30th anniversary and i was there and watching it for the umpteenth time, and I think I've had this, this thought before, but it really kind of struck me because this top very topic came up is the dis- as really well the main should, crux yeah. of the discussion afterwards. And the thing that I people because because like you said, people are kind of confounded. Like, what does this have to do with this, and why are these separated in this very way? Here is the, a theory that I posited to to the audience that. The first half of the movie with the basic training, the two characters that stand out are Arlie Ermey's drill sergeant and Vincent D'Onofrio's Gomer Pyle. Mm-hmm. To me, they are the represent- representation of America and Vietnam. Those two characters. Sure. Arlie Army, the gung-ho, you know, we're, we're the best, we're, we'll destroy anything that moves America. Vincent D'Onofrio is the Vietnam, the sort of the, the vision of meekness you know we're going to go over there we're going to kick their ass we're going to bully them and we're going to take take back this country and you know put restore law and law and order and all this kind of stuff and then what happens d'onofrio just blows the shit out of them to me and then that's where the movie picks up hmm. and then we go to vietnam mm-hmm. that to me i think is where the connection between the two halves yeah i like that theory yeah yeah, I, I mean, I always, uh, I always thought this was a great film, 
and really, uh, you know, we needed more movies about Vietnam that were like this and Platoon, and especially after all the, you know, the Rambo and the, the Missing in Action movies, you know, that were sort of, you know. Fantasies. Fantasies, mm-hmm. the Reagan era fantasies. Or ways to win Vietnam. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and there's just, this is one of those, uh, this is just one of those epic war movies that I think is really, I mean, it stands up, obviously. It's Kubrick, so of course it stands up, you know. Um, and uh, it, it's one that I always love going back to. And I, and, I, and I do like the first hour more than the second hour, but I still like mm-hmm. the second hour a mm-hmm. lot. I think all the stuff with Matthew Bodine, uh, I think it's really terrific. Um, and I like that the movie just kind of just kind of ends without, you know, anything definite. Yeah. You know? Um, no catharsis at right. the end of this, which I don't know. Does it need it? Probably not. Well, it kind not of finishes the Matthew Mordine arc as yeah. sort of the, the smart ass guy that uh, you know ends up with this moral choice at mm-hmm. the end of the movie whether or not to shoot the sniper that has you know. And is he doing it out of a sense of mercy or is he doing it out of a sense of bravado? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think that the you know the fact that you can have these discussions about the movie, you know, because watching it again, there's something actually very Terrence Malicky about the film. There's something mm-hmm. I think you can make comparisons to people who really love Thin Red Line can make comparisons between the, the disconnects of the two halves because Thin Red Line is a little bit like that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first half, at least the first hour of the movie, once they get into the the main, that battle is very kind of straightforward and then it kind of gets more malicky in the narration and the yeah. drifting and all that kind of stuff that I'm not as big a fan of but Full Metal Jacket has that kind of ethereal quality to it it's sort of this disconnect between the the horror mm-hmm. that they've now placed themselves in and how to maintain your humanity as a result of that so yeah, and I think it's interesting coming off of the success of Platoon and then going, you know, and then Full Metal Jacket coming out. I mean, Oliver Stone is more, uh, although, I, and I love Platoon, but, you know, Oliver Stone is clearly a different kind of director than oh, yeah. Kubrick. Oliver Stone is very manipulative. He's very, you know, hyper emotional. Um, and of course, and Vietnam. Out. And of course, no, but I mean, I don't mean these things in a bad way. And he and uh, Vietnam and Platoon; these are obviously very personal things for him. So Absolutely. everything, everything is very heightened. Whereas Kubrick is more uh, keeps the emotions at arm's length. He wants you to be more intellectually engaged by what you're watching, because um, we all know war is terrible. Um, but Full Metal Jacket is is a better than Platoon at posing uh, questions that are that are hard to answer. Yeah, um, that's not to that take anything sure. away from Platoon. They're just two completely different movies from two completely Very different, different directors. You know, to, to telling that story. Yeah. yeah, and having both of these films back existing within six months of each other, I think is is a pretty cool thing to have in, mm-hmm. at this time. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Agreed. Um, you know what? I I just never liked Spaceballs, and I I, I know it's like one of those movies at, at, the, at the at the age. Hey, I like the police academy movies for God's sake. But then I see even weirder now. Yeah, I know, and I so I see Spaceballs with my dad, and we're like, "This isn't really that funny." Yeah, Spaceballs is it's a lot of testicle jokes. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I know that. What's his name? That is his name, sir. Asshole, major asshole. And his cousin? He's an asshole too, sir. Gunner's mate, first class, Philip asshole. How many assholes we got on this ship, anyhow? Yo! 
I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. It's, I mean, yeah. when you're looking at Mel Brooks's filmography and you look at stuff like Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein and Silent Movie and High Anxiety, you can tell he's a fan of the movies that he's sending up. Oh, sure. I don't get the sense he's a Star Wars fan when I watch Spaceballs. No. It's no. just, he's just, all right, I'll do a Star Wars parody. All right, I, let's watch Star Wars. Okay, Jabba the Hutt, let's call him Pizza the Hutt. There, that's funny. And not really invested in, like, really making a great parody movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know? But I think uh, also, for, an argument I think that can also be made about Mel Brooks, and obviously those early movies that you, you, you mentioned are absolute classics in, in their own right, but the level of sophomoric type humor and easy gags and punchlines and things like that, they, there's not that big of a disconnect from the classic Mel Brooks to the lesser Mel Brooks in the style of the humor. Now you can argue that they were more well, a little more well defined, you know, in, in the earlier movies. And like Colin said, I, which I kind of agree with, that he was a bigger fan of those than the Star Wars movie, you know, just because it felt like it was time for someone to finally do one. Yeah, no one had really done a full on parody like that. Uh, but you know, though, like that, just something like that, Pizza the Hut. There are jokes like that all through Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Oh, I agree. Puns, I just don't think it's as funny like this and, time. Yeah, and I, and I don't think he gets as strong of a cast. Well, at this that's, point. Yeah, that's I mean, you, point when you got too. Cloris Leachman and mm-hmm. you got Gene Wilder and Marty Feldman and yeah. all them, you know, they're going to do their own thing to add more to the jokes. But when you got, no, yeah, yeah, you got yeah, Daphne yeah. Zuniga and Bill Pullman, I know. you know, it's I know. like, I, I, no, I'm not, I'm not making the case that Spaceballs belongs right. in that same case, but right. I'll make the case that it's much funnier than this, a lot of the stuff that came after Spaceballs. Oh, sure, 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 sure. You know, no, so I'll it is a middle that. of the road mm-hmm. Mel Brooks movie. My sister happens to really love this movie. Well, a lot of people but, do, and I yeah, wouldn't argue and that. So, just, yeah, and the, I mean, John Candy is funny in it, and there are jokes. You know, the, the alien joke with John Hurt is that, sure. that's yeah, really funny. That, oh, yeah, funny. no, that's great. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's stupid. Yeah. And, and, all, I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all the Rick Moranis stuff is funny. All the Dark Helmet stuff is funny. The the assholes joke, the, funny. That, the yeah. stuff on the spaceship, <laughs> even Mel Brooks's President Scroob. I think all that is funny too. Yeah, Bill Pullman, okay. Daphne Zuniga, maybe not as yeah. much, but the pros, your Moranis, Brooks, mm-hmm. so the, mm-hmm. the candy. So this movie does have yes. talent. Yeah, it, it does. does. You know, it does. Not to d- dispel Bill Pullman too much, but yeah. um, no, Bill Pullman's good. Fine. Yeah. I just I don't know why. Just I okay. did. It, yeah. It's okay. just subjectively, it never made me laugh yeah. out loud. I always watch Radar when I. I always drink coffee when I watch Radar. <laughs> We'll be right back after these messages. 